I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, back in studio, and we are reviewing all of the Week 18 NFL action. You doubted Week 18, and mm-hmm. it delivered. Yeah, and we're doing so on at least five minutes of sleep. Yeah, yeah. Mine was closer to three. Yeah. Got okay. to bed late. Then the kid woke up in, my, in the middle of my three minutes of sleep. It was, Beautiful. It was a night. But here we go. We're doing it. Powered by, uh, where's Nespresso? Can you power us, please? That would Can be you great. get in here? Yeah. I'm asking for sponsors again. That's good. Get over here, Nespresso. I drink a lot of Nespresso, so if they want to give it to us for free, that would be outstanding. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'll, and then we'll I'll, pitch it. I'll sell it. Every day, I'm I'll already say, drinking it. Powered by Nespresso. That that's what great. I'm drinking in my PFF mug. But I'm ready to go. Let's go. This is like a free, this is like, the, uh, this is like those billboards, you know, your advertisement here. That's what we're doing with Nespresso yeah, right now. We can put you here. And we might even put you, right put you right next to the Western and Southern sign, too, if you want to do that. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what kind of, uh, see what kind of investment you Look, want to make. Look, you, 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 cast, you know, cast out the lure and you see what comes in. You just see. You just see. Nespresso USA. They're certainly watching. At, at, somebody tag them. Somebody tag them from the PFF account. We're talking about you. All right. We're powered by caffeine and we're yeah. getting after it here. Uh, we'll do it a little bit differently this week. We'll change it up a little. We'll go game by game. Less about order, and let's talk about the, the disorder, the craziness. It's all about, like, the Colts aren't in the playoffs, Sam. The Chargers are not in the playoffs. No. That was, that was unexpected 24 hours ago. I mean, particularly the Colts. All you need to do is beat Jacksonville. And if you hadn't yeah. noticed, Jacksonville suck. This was a game that <laughs> the sponsors were actively trying to disassociate themselves for this game because people were showing up en masse wearing clown suits. Like, that's how bad Jacksonville are this season. And all you got to do is Carson Wentz, the man that the first-round pick has been traded for, you know, the giant contract, the guy leading this franchise, one of the team that nobody wanted to play in the playoffs, all you got to do is beat Jacksonville, that team, in the, in the clown game, and meltdown. In the clown game. The clown game. There was a beautiful bookend to the Jaguars' last two seasons. It started in week one, 2020, when they beat the Indianapolis Colts at home. Gardner Minshew, I was calling them untankable. Then they go 1-15. and mm. And then they go through this just disaster of a season. And the other bookend is week 18 of 2021, yesterday, where the Jags just dominate the Colts. Dominate a Colts team that had the beautiful moniker of Team, you don't want to play in the playoffs. Well, guess what? You don't have to because they won't be there. Yeah. And, uh, boy, what? Uh, let's start with that then. Let's start. Yeah. Jaguars 26, Colts 11. The fallout from this game is far-reaching as well because the Philadelphia Eagles, of course, have the Colts' first-round pick. And now you look back at this move that the Colts made in Chris Ballard trading for Carson Wentz, a conditional first-round pick. The conditions were met. 
but the payoff was not there. The Eagles move on to the playoffs. It's like worst case scenario for for the Colts. Like you, you're giving away the first pick because you no, no point decided to play to game that and you know rest Wentz or play with his snaps or whatever. You happily sacrifice that first round pick, knowing that oh, it's it's worth it if we get to the playoffs and we can go on a run and we can you know contend. And then again, all you needed to do was beat Jacksonville in the clown game, and you like. 26-11 flatters the Colts. It wasn't that close. That's the thing. Not only did they not achieve this, they didn't get the win. They got they got destroyed. Like, this was not... They got wrecked by a Jacksonville team that's terrible. It's funny. If, if you watch the Jaguars just in the right games, two of them, hmm. you're like, wow, this pass rush is incredible. What they did against Josh Allen, middle of the season. This was... So, Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, who had reclaimed his name but then lost it by virtue of disappearing for the last like nine weeks the last time he had a sack was that josh allen game yeah like he had a sack in this game and it was his first sack since the josh allen game yeah well he's back was there a was there a guy named josh allen on uh don't think so on the colts no. that brought him out yeah that's what i'm saying though like the jags all of a sudden uh 25 total pressures and getting a lot like roy robertson harrison Dwayne smooth josh allen all these guys getting into the backfield uh, Damian Wilson making plays all over the field with a sack, uh, strip sack, and an interception uh, that Carson Wentz threw to him. But, man, what – every now and again, you just get this incredible performance by the Jaguars' defense, which is what you got there. And then the Colts allowing Carson Wentz to get sacked six times. Obviously, the quarterback always involved in that. And they just couldn't get anything going offensively, the Colts. And on the other side – Trevor Lawrence looked like the number one overall pick. Yeah, for the he first looked, time. <laughs> he looked really good in this game. I Week 18 momentum for yeah, Trevor. Yeah. I, I mean, I tweeted at the time, pe- the, people were going to use this game and this game alone to convince themselves that Trevor Lawrence wasn't bad this year. And people, it was already happening to the extent that people got mad at me highlighting that. They were like, oh, look at this idiot. Of course, Trevor Lawrence has been good all season long. Just every, the situation around him has been bad. Like, it's all, it was already happening to the, to the potency that people were mad at me pointing out that it was going to happen based off the back of this game. This was the game where, yeah, Trevor Lawrence absolutely looked good in this game. He had a couple of big-time throws, didn't make any glaring mistakes, you know, looked like, looked like the number one overall pick. This has not been the case. Pretty much all season long. First time I think he looked like the number one overall pick since the Bengals, probably, Thursday night yeah, yeah. game. Where we, we thought, said, like, maybe he's turned a corner. We thought he turned a corner back then. Um, my, favorite, my favorite play from him, you've, you know, the Colts are trying to come back and the Jaguars are trying to throw it away. Bad snap, nearly over his head, makes the great play, rolls out, puts the ball uh, only where Marvin Jones can catch it in the end zone. Natural playmaking that, uh, that Trevor Lawrence showed in college. Um, but look, it's it's better to go out, you know, with uh, go out on top here. And, and the other weird thing when you're evaluating the Jags, you know, this whole season tried to talk myself into well, Lavisca Chenault getting the ball to him in space. He was pretty good in space, and Marvin Jones can can have games like this where he catches seven for 88 in that score. Laquan Treadwell looks like a useful, a much more useful receiver this year 
yeah. as like a potential three or four option, even though he's had to be the number one there. Um, he looks a lot better. Just he gets open on a slant. I mean, those are li- those are little <laughs> things he wasn't doing. That was something he was good at in college. Career. To be fair, yeah, slants. I'm, that's it. It's true. It's true. But I'm just saying, like Laquan Treadwell looks like he can at least be. I mean, he caught three passes. I'm not. I'm not going crazy here. Mm. But he looks like he can at least be useful. So this, there's this game where everything comes together for the Jaguars, and uh, they play spoiler. They move to three and fourteen. Here's all the weird wow. records, man. Jaguars move to three and fourteen. Kept the number one pick. They, and they still keep the number one pick because of what happens. Because of the fighting Dan Campbells. In Detroit. But that's going to be a fascinating number one overall pick discussion uh, because I, who, who is it? Nobody played for it this year. It's like last year, the Eagles essentially deliberately threw away the last game. But that wasn't for number one. No, 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 I know. But for draft position, right? And, you know, you're sort of thinking, well, if, imagine if this year was last year and there was a Trevor Lawrence prize out there for somebody, right? Would the fighting Dan Campbells have been quite so keen to win that game? Or, you know, would the Jags have tried to win against the Colts in the clown game? Like, losing would have actually been a hell of a lot more enticing than winning any of these games for literally no reason other than harming your draft position. This year, it's like, eh. Nobody really knows who should go number one anyway, and it's it's not the prize that it was a year ago. So to hell with it. Let's try and win a game. Jags already have their prize. It's Trevor Lawrence. And they have their prize. They have their prize, and it, it's going to be a great discussion because boy, the Jaguars have massive holes at tackle, and you've already got rumors that a guy like Evan Neal, tackle from Alabama, could go. Aiden Hutchinson's the uh, defensive lineman. Caden Kayvon uh, Thibodeau, another defensive lineman. Uh, Hutchinson from Michigan, Thibodeau from Oregon. And both of those guys have been, you know, mocked at number one overall to the Jaguars. And it's like, man, who wants to spend the number one overall pick on a, on a non-sure thing? There, there's fewer sure things or, you know, what feels like sure things or quarterbacks at the top of the draft. So we'll have plenty of discussion on that. Um, I did speak to an NFL QB coach this week hmm. briefly, He, you know, about some of the rookies. He said, he's, I love the way uh, coaches talk sometimes. They speak in just like numbers in oh, schools I was he was kind of like like that guy in Jacksonville is going to be okay he said the guy in New York I got some questions I don't know if it's the best fit <laughs> so that that was his take on one and two I think there's con- I don't want to say there's consensus around the league but like there's I do feel like this this is what people are thinking Sam the people that tweeted at you too like Trevor's going to be okay the situation was bad he's talented enough he'll get out of it I think there are more question marks about Zach Wilson and you know in New York and the way he's going to move forward. So, man, the Steelers came into the day, depending on who you're asking, 8%, 9% chance to make the playoffs. I cannot believe that team is in the postseason. This was one of the games that needed to happen. This, this, was, the key, this was the game that unlocked everything. All the crazy scenarios in Week 18, including like the tie bowl in Sunday Night Football, all hinged off, all hinged on Indianapolis dropping a game to Jacksonville in the Clown Bowl which just was never going to happen, right? Everyone was assuming, it, okay, come on. Yes, I know that they haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014, but, but look, like, even the first game, right? Like, the Jags actually played the Colts weirdly close the first time, and it was like, there's no reason for that. Like, drive one, the Colts absolutely annihilate them on the ground, march down the field, and you're like, oh, Jonathan Taylor's going to run for 300 yards. They're going to they're gonna waltz this. And then it didn't happen. For some reason, it tightened up and there was a weirdly close game. You're like, eh, that's probably just a strange thing that happened. And then, repeat, we just, there's something about Jacksonville and Indianapolis that the Colts are just incapable of winning there at the moment. Carson Wentz, for 
my entire offseason narrative was you had a you had a really high end year. You had a last year where he was the worst quarterback in the NFL, and there was a whole lot of years in between. And I thought, okay, he'll land in between, but he still landed on the lower end of in between. He's going to finish with a, a grade right in the low seventies, a right. passing grade in the high sixties. And, even and it though all he happened was, at the end, though. And it all happened in the end. It, so f- three of his last four games were subpar, below average performances, including just one of them was a win against the Patriots, right? But a you know, terrible game where he goes 5 for 12 and tries to throw three turnovers. Um, and then can't beat the Raiders in Week 17, can't beat the Colts in Week uh, – the Jaguars in Week 18, and just does not play well in those particular games. Played well against the Cardinals, just a roller coaster ride for Carson Wentz. And we talked about, hey, he had generally done a good job of taking care of the ball, not in this game. Puts the ball on the ground with a fumble, throws the interception, and just not a good finish to the season for, for Carson Wentz. No, really bad. Like, Wentz has, Wentz has had a... When it goes wrong, it goes wrong in a big way. Like, he melts down. He doesn't just... You know, he doesn't just go on a run of poor play. When when things go bad for Carson Wentz, it goes bad the same way things went south at Chernobyl. You know, like there's an actual meltdown. There's fallout flying into the air. You used that last week. You can't use that analogy again. No, that's the way it goes, right? It it melts down in a massive way that causes everything around him to be buried in nuclear waste, um, and that's exactly what happened again. Like this. When you look at the situation, all you got to do is win and you're in. It's against Jacksonville. It's a gimme game. Everyone's assuming it's going to happen. Like, there's a whole bunch of these playoff scenarios that nobody's really taking seriously because you're going to win this game and end them all immediately. Which is actually, by the way, kind of weird that the schedule put this where it did. You know, like up front where this would have Indianapolis take care of business. Half the interest in yesterday is gone immediately. Right? It's kind of weird that this wasn't late in the day where it was still alive for the longest period of time. Well, no, but anyway, you had, you had to put it at the same time as the Pittsburgh game. Right, so but that, that like, again, th- these are all the games that mattered, right? Why were these not all of your last games so that that was, anyway, whatever, they didn't. All you had to do was take care of business against arguably the worst team in the NFL. And not only did you not do that, at no point was it even close. Um, this has to rank amongst the most embarrassing slash shameful defeats that any team has had in recent years. And the entire thing rests on the shoulders of the dude you are saddled with because you traded a first-round pick and picked up his giant contract. Like, this is absolute worst-case scenario for the Colts. They got this guy. They traded for him. It's a first-round pick you've given up. You have his contract, and you're kind of in the same situation the Eagles were a year ago, which is, oh, crap. Like, (laughs) what do we do now? Like, yeah, and you don't have an alternative. You don't even have a Jalen Hurts that you kind of, you know, hedged with. Or a first-round pick this year. Right. Or the ability to get one. So now you're – if you're the Colts, right, and you're Frank Reich, and what do you do? It's a it's – a t- what do you do even last year, though? Right? They took this chance. And, again, I think – that's well, the thing. I think it was an okay gamble to take. I understand right. why you did it, given the landscape you were faced with a year ago. But it came up snake eyes now. So now what's your plan? The best you can do is build. I mean, you got to build the receiving core. You got to build as much as you can around him and try to try to raise the boat, man. You got to raise uh, the level around him as much as possible. We'll talk plenty. What teams are going to do this offseason, Sam? So Jaguars win twenty-six to eleven. Win the clown bowl. They win the clown bowl. 
at the same time in the 1 o'clock hour, you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson couldn't go again, so it's Tyler Huntley, and it's just a classic AFC Central weather game. Hmm. AFC North as well. But you got the weather game, man. You've got it. It starts to get, I mean, it's cold, and then it starts to rain in the second half and the whole thing. Uh, Big Ben just puts another classic performance again uh, together, averaging 5.5 yards per attempt. But the Steelers, they've got the Jaguars taking care of business for them. Former AFC Central, by the way. Uh, rivals, Steelers and Jaguars. Jaguars are taking care of business. Steelers are just lurking around, lurking around. Big Ben making that fourth quarter comeback. They go into overtime. And the Steelers get the win with a field goal in overtime, 16 to 13, giving uh, increasing their playoff chances, you know, astronomically. All and once this happened, the only thing that would keep them out would be a tie on Sunday Night Football, which we'll spend <laughs> another three hours discussing. Almost happened. You know, what my favorite stat about this game is what's that? The best graded passer in it was the punter who went over one. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. That's a great stat. It is, isn't it? Um, We've seen I mean, between Monday Night Football. In this game, Monday night, Steelers, Browns, and then this game. I Honestly. mean, just incredible how inefficient the Steelers and their opponents the have The Steelers been. have one That's of the most inefficient, ineffective, and depressing offenses in the National Football League, and they're about to be in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, they are in the playoffs. Like, against we are about to see them again against, you know, the, the pinnacle of the NFL shooting for a Super Bowl. Like, we... The, the last two weeks have been about, like, an ode to Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, bye-bye, Ben, the long goodbye. These two weeks, oh, God, it's painful, but at least you're done now. Your pain is over, you know? Your suffering is at an end. You can now finally hang the cleats up and walk away, and the NFL can't hurt you anymore. But no, no, no. It turns out you accidentally got yourself into the playoffs, so you got to do it again against the Chiefs. And if a couple of weeks ago wasn't enough to... You know, highlight how much you don't belong at this level anymore. God, the playoffs are going to be. This was just, I mean, it was sad, but somehow it was enough to get them into the postseason. It, like, it's painful watching this offense. It's amazing that this team has got to the postseason. And it's not even like a year ago where you could say, yeah, like the offense is ugly to watch. It's, it's a struggle. But, man, that defense is amazing, and that's why they're there. Like, the defense is all right. It's pretty good. Cameron Hayward is playing some amazing football. T.J. Watt tied the sack record um, from Michael Strahan. And, you know, for you, you didn't need the extra game. I mean, needed the extra week, but did it in less games than Strahan. Great. Give give T.J. the record. Right. We'll give him the the record. I mean, look. Even though the season would have been over and you would have said, hey, T.J. Watt missed two games. Look, all I did is I took a game from the middle of the season and I put it to week 18. That's all. That's all. And look, Fine. if you're going to put an asterisk next to Strahan with his, you know, Favre give up thing, then you can give one to Watt for his, you know, moving the weeks around and kind of got screwed out of a Tyler Huntley fumble pickup type of deal that could have been a sack. His actual sack was great. I mean, he beat the tight and they end were, was trying to chip him. Then they beat were the right really tackle. trying to stop him getting that record. Like, they were throwing yeah. two guys on him every single play. The problem is the two guys were bad. So he, he had one him anyway. earlier, too. The NFL probably would have split it with him and Cam Hayward, I think. Um, they would have done the half sack thing. Again, for our new listeners, half sacks are not for evaluation purposes. Mm-hmm. They're simply because the NFL wants them to add up. Yeah. They simply want, if the quarterback gets sacked four times, we want the defense to have four total sacks. But T.J. Watt did sack the quarterback and got negated by a roughing call. The NFL earlier. does a lot of 
bad things when it comes to statistics for not good reasons. So they they do the half sack things just because they want the box score numbers to add up, not because they think half sacks are uh, qualitatively worse sacks than full sacks. It can be exactly the same play, but if two people make it at the same time, they simply split it. Also, the, the Trayvon Diggs thing highlighted, they, you know, they double count a bunch of statistics. So interceptions also get double counted as pass breakups, which some people try and justify. They're like, well, it's like basketball, right? A three-pointer is also a field goal made. Yeah, yeah, but that only works if people know that. You know what I mean? Like people treat interceptions and pass breakups as two completely independent stats. And I know that because people have been throwing it at me since the Trayvon Diggs thing became a story. And they're like, well... He's got 11 picks. Yeah, that's, that's different. Though. And 21 yeah. pass breakups. Like, well, the, he doesn't, actually. That's like, well, a completion, like a completion's the same thing as a touchdown. They both count as well. But one, just like a field goal made, is like a, it's like a counting stat. And the other one, you know, completion. And the other one is like, here's, you're really good if you have these things. The problem with this stat is a sack and a tackle for a, a, a pass breakup and an interception. They're both like, here's these things that make you really good. And when you put them side by side, people add them up in their head. When you shouldn't. Right, but I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think theoretically that that's fine as a concept, but it only functions if everybody knows that and treats it that way. If everybody doesn't know that and thinks they're independent numbers, and when you add them all up, you end up with, like, a greater number that that, that doesn't work. So they double count things like interceptions, pass breakups, also sacks, tackles for loss, all those kinds of things. So there's a whole bunch of ways that the NFL does weird things statistically. Um, Sacks and QB hits. They may have fixed some of this stuff in recent years, but historically they've, they've been bad. Um, the Steelers' defense, man, they gave up 249 yards on the ground. That included a, a buck fifty to Latavius Money, uh, Murray. Latavius Money. Money, yeah, Latavius Money. He was, he was Latavius Money yesterday, averaging over nine That's yards. That's way pop. better than the Money Badger. 40, yeah, there you go. 46-yard touchdown. I mean, the, the Ravens blew it, man. Yeah. They lost all of these heartbreakers down the stretch to end up 8-9 and nine, with Lamar Jackson out or not. I know they had to pull Josh Johnson in for a start and Tyler Huntley, you know, balled out against the Packers. And they, they, but we're talking the Ravens need you know, their, their own autopsy of their season, yeah, right? They two just got failed. so battered by injuries. But they also, but they did. But they were two failed two-point conversions away from the playoffs, just needed yeah, yeah. one of them. Uh, they lose this game to the Steelers in overtime. Just heartbreak after heartbreak. They blow the game against the Rams last week. Just right. so much that added up against the Ravens uh, that they, you know, whatever. Just doesn't go in their favor down the stretch. But the Steelers have, we'll talk about plenty about the Chiefs-Steelers matchup, but Steelers have a horrendous run defense. It's not just player for player. I mean, it's just they don't get aligned right. They just can't get off blocks as a group. They're just not good. They give up 249, but they still were in this game because Tyler Huntley, did. he just played a poor game, man. It was almost like he, he doesn't have the greatest arm in the world. He's like one of those quarterbacks. If you really let him zip it, it looks okay. But if anything's off platform, I don't think it comes out all that great. And you add a little bit of weather, you add a little bit of rain to it. Huntley has an interception in the end zone that was just like, just floated, man, when he needed to zip it in there. Um, there. There were just some passes he couldn't get there. And then the play of the game, one of the plays of the game, end of the fourth quarter, the Ravens have a chance to drive down and uh, kick a game-winning field goal. You've got Justin Tucker. Huntley, again, he's just a little late along the sideline to Marquise Brown, and Minka Fitzpatrick comes in and breaks it up. And then uh, for the, in, in the world of what-ifs, Marquise Brown had a dropped touchdown he had a and that game. play along the sideline 
where he should have held on to it. It was a really late pass break. A good play by Minka, but also one like Marquise Brown had in his hands for a while. So in, in the what-if game, it's not just, hey, what if we had Lamar Jackson if you're a Ravens fan? It's a lot of stuff, and it includes Marquise Brown in this game as well. Yeah, Brown had a pretty rough game. Well, it's also like that was a game where, you know, rain was an issue, and rain makes a lot of things worse on the, in the past game. It, those like NFL gloves, those sort of fancy C-tack things, the cutters gloves that just as soon anything sticks to them, like a like stick them, like legalized stick them is essentially what those things are. In the dry, the second it's wet, all bets are off. Those things go to hell. They are almost useless, and every other type of glove appears to be useless as well. Like you can see ones where it's almost like there's a tire tread on the like on the the hand surface. Equally useless. It seems like they should work, but they don't. Whatever the theory is, doesn't wash. Um, there's no, there's no gloves that work in the rain. Which um, invent some. Well, I've seen them. Gaelic football has these weird, like spongy things that seem, that everybody seems to like. I've never actually. You want to wear sponges on your hand? I don't personally, but they appear to work. So if you're searching for something to improve, you know. They have a patent over here in America? We should, we I could. doubt it. O'Neill's, I think, makes one. We can call up O'Neill's, get the, get the U.S. Uh, franchise, start making some cash. Just here. saying, a good, a good entrepreneur finds a problem and then uh, well, let's do that. We'll, finds a solution. We'll contact O'Neill's, we'll get the U.S. distribution rights, and we'll, we'll start making yeah, bank. Don't let anyone else know that. We're oh, gonna, God, no. We're going to do let's that. Let's keep it quiet. Yes, for sure. Um, but that's why you see, when it, gets re- when it gets wet, a lot of people just dump the gloves entirely, and they go barehanded. And that's terrible as well, right? There's just no way of catching a ball well if you ha- if it's wet. Are you and calling I- out Chris here? Chris never wore gloves. He was always bare hands. You calling him out? No. Oh, okay. okay. Good. Anyway, um, I think that's a bigger problem for smaller receivers than it is for bigger ones. Like if you have a giant, you know, like your hands, right? You got a lot more wiggle room to work with. You got a lot more margin for error when it gets wet. If you have relatively small hands. Then it start. Then you lose all traction. Now you've got some real issues. Um, Marquise Brown's kind of small guy. Maybe that was the source of a lot of his problems. Maybe take the gloves off, man. You don't see Mark Andrews dropping balls yesterday. No, never. We'll get into the uh, a little bit more on this and the rest of the action. But do you want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast? This is our friends over at Western Southern. You see the. You see the sign right there. There are friends here. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? Because I absolutely would. Particularly in Vegas. Particularly in Vegas. We joke, you know, Al doesn't work every game, right? I'm sure he uh, picks his spots a little bit on Sunday Night Football. I think he was in, yeah. He he likes the West Coast games. He likes the short travel. Yeah. Vegas is a spot. So I do want to know what Al is like behind the scenes. How about a need to know on your financial future? Western Southern's teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth. That's our guy. Share insights that help you out both for your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Each submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast. To celebrate football's favorite Sunday, we'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Do you hear this? $2,500. Get your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. Imagine a $2,500 feast on Super Sunday. Don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. So all you do is submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. And remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. So Steelers into the playoffs. 16-13 to 13 win. The Ravens, another team that's out. A wacky AFC, Sam, where everybody, I mean, the Ravens were teasing the number one seed at one point here. 
The Colts looked like they were the team that nobody wanted to play. The Chargers looked like, I mean, they were teasing the number one seed, and they lost to the Ravens at one point, which looked like a huge game of, you know, future playoff implications. They're all out. We, yeah, we, a lot of Steelers fans think we hate them, right? Let's give Um, them some credit. You want to give them some credit? No, actually, I was going to go the other way. (laughs) Oh, okay. Explain why we hate them. I don't, I, don't, I don't hate the Steelers. I'm just, of all the teams that could have made it yesterday, I think the Steelers are the worst entertainment for a neutral watcher of the playoffs. Like, we saw last night, right? Can you, Justin Herbert versus anybody is going to be fun to watch. That guy, the Chargers were overmatched in that game generally, but Herbert was, was single-handedly determined not to let them out of the playoffs and almost made it happen. The Baltimore Ravens have been absolutely wrecked by injury, but at some point on the horizon is the return of Lamar Jackson, which changes the dynamic of everything. Even if Lamar Jackson hasn't actually been playing that well, it's still the most unique athlete at the quarterback position going into the postseason in a single game where all bets are off, right? That would have been interesting. The Colts, we've been talking about them as the team nobody wants to play. Yes, they have Carson Wentz, a quarterback, and apparently that's been going badly recently. On the other hand... You can easily see a world where that offensive line shows up. They dominate on the ground with Jonathan Taylor. Wentz just doesn't screw it up for a few plays. And their defense has been a turnover machine. And they're a tough team. And then you have the Steelers. And it's like, you know, Big Ben just just slogging it out with these, like, underneath passes that go nowhere. A defense that, as you said, is not good versus the run. And is basically relying on, like, two or three guys making plays right now. I mean, they're not stopping the best teams in the ASC. Like, this is the kind of clip that could be pulled up in, in a week or two weeks' time. You know, I'm like, ah, uh, all takes exposed I'll, on me. But I'll give you the other side, though. It just feels like this team is not bringing much to the table I'll, in the postseason. I'll give you the other side, though. 2012, Ravens didn't look like they had anything. Yeah. Joe Flacco wasn't playing good football. Oh, you need a big Ben to go turn into the best quarterback but, in the NFL for five weeks. But it was the Ray Lewis last ride. And even even Ray Lewis wasn't playing his best ball. Right? You could uh-huh. tell he was ready to go out. But you know Ray gave a 30 to 45 minute inspirational speech before every single game, yeah. probably before every practice. Like, guys, it's my last game. This is it. I'm done. You know, maybe you know, this is this is what they need. Big Ben goes on this run, beats the Chiefs. In the first game, then he would have to play who the then – then they go to Tennessee, right? They could beat the Titans again. The Titans just fumbled away four times. You beat the Titans. Then you beat the Bills in the AFC Championship. Mm. And then it's Steelers in the Super Bowl. Big Ben's last season. Nothing makes sense. T.J. Watts can have 30 sacks by then. It all comes together. Let me, uh, let me read you a couple of tweets that I think highlight this, this, this discussion generally, right? A Steelers fan replied to me uh, with a tweet saying, your company was begging for the Steelers to be out, you know, laugh, 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 Cincinnati-based. You know, the hometown Bengals, they, people think we're biased against, well, Steelers fans think we're biased against the Steelers because we're based in Cincinnati, as if we haven't ripped the Bengals plenty on this show. Uh, to which somebody replied, most of the people that work at PFF aren't even Bengals fans. True. They, along with the rest of the world, didn't want to watch your boring-ass team in the playoffs. Not a effing soul alive except Steelers fans wants to see them play in the postseason. Waste of a playoff spot. I, I, like, when some people, I, I like when people step up and fight our battles. I'm not saying he's, he's right. I'm also not saying he's wrong. I'm just, I, I like when people step in. Anyway, I don't really care who makes the playoffs or anything like that. 
I care a little bit because I'm rooting for the best games, and I don't think yeah, that's yeah. going to be a good game. I don't think it's going to be a great game. It's already a double-digit spread. The uh, Chiefs favorite you want. over the the Steelers. Uh, I will say, Big Ben, he does still have this fourth quarter knack. He's been leading game-winning drives like crazy this year. I think that's seven for whatever it's worth. He's you know, and, and it, he he throw for throw. He's been horrible. He's grading in the fifties. Yeah, but. He does pull out these perfect dimes every now and again when he needs them. They're like eight yards or whatever, but he'll put it on them and uh, <laughs> yard dime and uh, and move the chain. Magic. So the Steelers. Do you want me to give some credit to the Steelers? Yes. Mike Tomlin should legitimately be a coach of the year candidate. The yeah, Steelers. Absolutely. The Steelers are not a good team, and he has them in the playoffs for basically no good reason. Yeah, and, and TJ Watt never had a losing record, and yada yada yada. And TJ Watt has had a fantastic season because it's not just. Like, we grade snap for snap, but when you're looking back and you look at when things happened and how they happened, T.J. Watt forcing fumbles in crunch time, in overtime, in the fourth quarter of certain games, or picking up the key sack at the right time. Like, the timing of T.J. Watt's performances have been huge as well this year. So, Would you like to know where Ben Roethlisberger ranks in PFF grade in the fourth quarter this year? No. There have been 50 yeah. quarterbacks that have attempted... Uh, at least 25 passes in the fourth quarter. Out of 50, where do you think Roethlisberger is, given this fourth quarter magic? 14th. Uh, No. 40th. Closer, 37th. (laughs) Slightly ahead of Jared Goff. Hey, Goff won yesterday. But below Davis Mills. Ballin. Are we ready for Sunday Night Football? Sure. All right, so all of this stuff happens. The Jaguars, are we going for four hours today? Is it happening? Who knows? If you've tuned in to listen to our, uh, here, here's some Cincinnati bias for you. Oh. If you've tuned in to listen to some Browns-Bengals recap, we might not even talk about it. How about that? Probably not the show for you. Yeah. Might not be the show. All right, so all this stuff happens. Jaguars win. Opens the door for the Steelers. They win 16-13. to 13. That makes the Sunday night football game Chargers at the Raiders. The tie bowl, the, right? If is they just, live. if they tie, and it was like a nine percent chance that the, we would even get to this opportunity, right? It happens. Um, I had it more as like an eleven percent chance, but you know, a lot of people had it at nine. Your simulation, yeah, my yeah. sim, definitely. ESPN had it at eight. Doctor Eager had it at nine. I had it at eleven. I think I nailed it. Hmm. So Sunday night football. If the Chargers tie, they go to the playoffs. If the Chargers and Raiders tie, they both go to the playoffs. Now. There were differences for the Raiders. The Chargers only had one outcome. They could have played, I think, the Bills on um, Saturday night. The Raiders, if they win, which they did, go and play the Bengals here in Cincinnati. If they lie, if, they, if the tie occurred, the Raiders would travel to Kansas City to play the Chiefs, who they just gave up like 85 points against over the second half of the season in two games. So the Raiders kind of had they, they kind of had reason to want to win presumably to get a shot at the Bengals rather than having to face the Chiefs again, where the matchup just has not been good. Um, But, of course, everybody thought, hey, we might just see everybody take a knee. We discussed this on the preview show. And then we also thought, okay, once it gets close at the end, how do you play it? Yeah. And we actually had this scenario. This is one of the craziest games of all time. I, I don't even know where to start here. But it was back and forth, and the Chargers... We're down 15. Do you want to start with that? They were down 15 in the fourth quarter. Schefter was tweeting that, like, oh, it's a 12-point game now. Pittsburgh can start celebrating. You're like, 
really? This year of all years, where stuff has been happening like crazy in the NFL, you want to throw that out there as like, oh, this is done. 12 points, forget it. Let's wrap. On to the next week. Playoffs, baby. So, you know, Justin Herbert is like, nah, not today, sir. And goes out there and starts single-handedly trying to drag them back into this game. Do you have the? I want to read the Roger Sherman tweet because he did the research. I mean, that was incredible as well. But we have a a fifteen-point deficit. Justin Herbert throws a a twenty-three-yard dig route into the end zone to score a touchdown. Just an absolute laser beam. This was like the old Andrew Luck games, where Luck he would like he would like airmail first and second down and just ball out on third down or fourth down if, if needed. I mean. Herbert just made throw after throw. Even some of his incompletions were just like right on his receiver's hands. There was tight coverage. Herbert made a ton of incredible throws in this game. I mean, just on fourth down, he was 6-for-6 six for, six for 106 yards and a touchdown. That's uh, insane. At, with 17.7 yards per attempt. With an average depth of target, 11.7 yards downfield. That's like nuts. They weren't just fourth and short. They were fourth and long, and everyone that came up – he made it, and most of them were to keep the game alive. So here's Roger Sherman. He, does the, he did the research here. Coming into the, the game, the day, NFL quarterbacks had 20 first downs on 85 attempts on fourth and nine or longer. So 85 attempts, 20 first downs, right? So Herbert goes five for five in the last five minutes of the game plus <laughs> overtime in those situations. So at the end of the day, he's got five out of the 25 conversions, and it all occurred in the last, you know, 14 minutes of football pretty much in this game. Five of the 25 NFL conversions on fourth and nine or longer, and Herbert just, you know, firing laser beams in there when they needed it. So they're down 15. They score the touchdown. And, of course, down 15, you need an eight and a seven, right? My math. Nice. And – they, they, they go for the eight first, yep. as, you know, the analytics-driven folks do. Get Al the eight out of the none way. Of it. Al, Al brought up the, the point that most people bring up, you know, wait to get the two. Chris said, no, you want to know? You want to know what you want? Cause he, and Al says, and don't want to no, know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Al doesn't like the stress. Don't want to know it. He doesn't want to know if he's down two possessions if they don't get it. Well, the Chargers get it. So now, now they're down seven. And then they have another opportunity to drive and in the 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 game tying drive by the Chargers is just insanity. They go 19 plays for 83 yards. 19 plays, 83 yards in two minutes and six seconds. It took about half an hour of real time. This was like the end of an the end of an NBA game on steroids. This yeah. was just insanity, and they get it. And there was even some debate, do they go for two for the win? They, so they score the touchdown with five seconds left. Do they go for the win? Would Staley go for the win here? Two different teams two? did yesterday. So that's been happening all year, right? These guys going for two at the end of the game to win the game on one play. Um, both, any other game, I think Staley does it. Maybe. Both the Chargers and the 49ers were presented with that opportunity yesterday. We, we get the, the game-tying score. Now, well, game, we get the score. Do we go for one to tie it? Or do we go for two to win it right here and there? Both teams kicked it and kicked it pretty immediately. There didn't appear to be an awful lot of debate there. Uh, I think that fits with Kyle Shanahan generally. I think that's what he would do anyway. 
The Brandon Staley one is interesting, though, because he generally, I think you're right, would go for those situations in a normal game. Now, was the thing that shifted him the other way the fact that a tie is as good as a win for the Chargers? Yes, absolutely. Which I think is massively over over uh, estimating the odds of a tie. Like, the whole point about the two-point play versus take your chances in overtime is that anything can happen in overtime. Like, even to get to a tie, you have to make it through an entire period of overtime where the, anything could happen. Like, the Raiders score. Now you got – like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not – there's a pretty low chance of a tie just by going to overtime. So, I think no, I, factoring I, that in, I think, is – because the Raiders didn't – the Raiders were not incentivized, as we've talked about, to go for that tie. Like, the reason – as much as we were sort of talking this up as, hey, it would be really funny if everyone just kneeled the ball out – I don't think it was ever really a particularly good chance of it happening because it wasn't an equal bargain. The Raiders had reasons to play that the Chargers didn't. Um, And even late in the game, like Chris, I think, was bringing up the only realistic scenario, which is at some point it's probably worth kneeling if you're the Raiders rather than risk the negative of screwing it up and not going at all, right? And where does that happen? But because they had a chance of playing the Chiefs, like that's a pretty good no motivator to play properly and try and win this game because you average 45 points given up against the Chiefs and you don't want to play them a third time in the playoffs. Like let's, who, we, not, we might get blown out by the Bengals as well, but let's take our chances with the devil we don't know because the one we do is kicking our ass every time we play them. Um, so I don't think it was like that. That's the point. So the Raiders are going to be playing this. In order for the tie to happen, it's you're the only person in control of that, and you have to match what they do and then be in a position to chew out the clock. I just think a tie in this scenario, as much as it's the thing everybody's thinking about, was actually a pretty small chance. Now, maybe it moves the percentages enough, but I, I really don't think that should have been a huge part of that. I think, I, But I think the bigger point is I, I think coaches will change what they want to do when a game is on the line versus – your playoff life is on the line. Like, no, I, I, go home or... Um, that's not... You're off on that, though. Why? Because the the chances of a tie are increased because, yeah, you're right, the Raiders had more motivation to win. But they did admit it was crossing their mind because there still is motivation to tie. And let's just pretend we're running this stuff through the computer. When you run it through the computer, you're running win probability through the computer. For both teams, a tie is a positive outcome. In any other game in the NFL throughout the season, you're, you're, you're tracking win probability and tie probability is like a loss, right? Because you're just trying to win. Because the tie is a positive outcome for both teams, you have to bake that into the extra point decision. Then when you get into overtime, the Chargers got the ball second and they tie it up to get the field goal. If the Chargers got the ball first and the thing that like, they can, you can dictate the tie. Like there's some motivation for a team to have the ball with two minutes left and actually run the clock out in this particular game where every other NFL game, that's not the case. In every other NFL game, if a team gets the ball with two minutes left in the, in, in, in the next score wins and it's tied, they're going to try to score to win. But there's always the chance that either you as the Chargers could take a knee and try for the tie or the Raiders would do the same, particularly if they get into a bind, right? Like if the Raiders had it third and 20, they're not going to take a chance with two minutes left uh, they're going to be more likely to try to run the clock out. So I think what you're saying is, do ties happen often? 
No, they don't. In this particular case, because both teams would have some level of motivation to play for the tie, the tie is astronomically more in play than it normally is but because neither, teams are going to play it differently. But neither one of those teams has that motivation until, like, the final two minutes is the point. Like, the Raiders are going to be playing until the final two minutes, at least, because they want to win and avoid the Chiefs. But that's still 20, that's 20% of a 10-minute quarter, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? If, if you don't have a tie as a positive outcome in a game – Everybody's playing to win. Yeah, but it's the last 20%. All like, the first 80% has to happen for you to even get anywhere near that. And I understand. Did. But like, the Raiders went down and scored. At that point, all of a sudden, the Chargers have to answer for it to even be a thing, right? Like, this is the th- these are the reasons that you go for two. You have one play to go for two and win the game because the Raiders could easily have marched down and scored a touchdown instead, and your, your game is done. Like, you – mu- I think what it does is – I mean, who knows? We'll find out. Let's, we'll contact the good doctor and find out what the numbers actually are. But it feels to me like the tie thing here is, you know, the way if you're playing roulette, it's like black or red, right? 50-50. Only it isn't because there's zero and double zero, which is how the house, like, gets the edge, right? Right. It's like there's two extra numbers here that are not – obviously, they're not going to come up very often. There's however many, 39, is it, numbers plus the zero and double zero – so it's two out of 39. It's a tiny fraction of what can come up, right? But it's there. And it's there, which means you run this often enough, that's how the casino makes your money off you. So I think what, we're, what the tie does is introduce like zero and double zero to that equation, to the two-point versus uh, take the point and play for overtime thing. It's slightly changing the odds here, which might be enough. Like, I don't know what that does to it. Um, but I do think that like maybe the bigger motivator here definitely for Kyle Shanahan and arguably for Brandon Staley is I think coaches change how they view that decision if just the game is on the line, which may well be your playoff life. You just don't know it at the time versus you don't get this. Everybody's going home tonight and you're not showing up again. I don't think Staley, you're, you're suggesting in a nicer way that Staley turtled up with the game on the line. I'm suggesting he will make the diff- he will make a different decision based off what's at stake. If no, just a I single game disagree. is at stake, he, he just, will make a different call. He went call. for it on fourth, and this is the other controversial call. He went for it on fourth and one on his own 20. Yeah. He, Brandon Staley did not change. The thing that changed, because he's been by the book this entire season, by what, the computer, by the analytics. He hasn't, though. For the most he's part, he's been he more hasn't. aggressive than the computer. Like, he's been going for it at times where the computer would say, no, what are you doing? But he went for it in this very game with the playoff at stake. He went for it yeah, fourth like and one early on in his the game. own 20. Early in the game, like earlier in the game. The whole point about that two-point decision is it's like one, one play and everybody's going home. No, I, I can almost guarantee you because the tie is a positive outcome that changed the math on it. If the, tie, if, if you, if the Chargers needed to win this game, then Brandon Staley would have gone for two if he thought that was the right call in that it, normally going for two, right, in that situation. Whether it was week seven or week 18, he would have made the call. That's what I believe. Hmm. Okay. Take that condescending smirk <laughs> and you just get it out of here. I believe you're wrong. I believe you're wrong. So here's where the controversy comes in. Here? Yeah, okay. Ready? Uh-huh. It's overtime. Yeah. It's tied up 32-32. Chris has done a good job of kind of painting this picture. The, I, could, I could see Al's like trying to tell him to stop, and uh, you know Fred Gudelli's probably screaming at <laughs> Enough him. Enough of the tie crap. I, I assume Chris and Fred have just like significant space. I know Fred's in the truck, but like 
if Fred was closer to Chris, he might want to like stop suggesting a tie, right? We want to have more excitement. Stop suggesting this. But yeah, there was certainly a point. So it's 32-32. The Raiders have a chance to drive back. They keep playing football. But then there was a point where they looked like they might be content. They start running the ball. They're not in field goal range. They get it to third and four. There's about 40 seconds left, and Brandon Staley calls timeout. And everybody made a big deal about this timeout, and when Derek Carr was asked about it after the game, he's, they said, did the timeout change your strategy? He said, yes, but I think, you know, you're after the game. I don't think he meant specifically the timeout. What Basaccia said, it's third and four. The Raiders are lined up in the shotgun. They're at about the 40, 42. They're out of field goal range. Timeout is called. They come back out of the timeout, and then Josh Jacobs runs through the Chargers defense for 10 yards. And I believe that was the point where the Raiders' strategy changed. Because they were, if they had run the ball and been stopped on third and four, which, which should happen you know, normally, you get stopped on third and four, then I think the Raiders are like, all right, we're running the clock. That's it. Instead, they get into field goal range, they run the clock, call timeout with two seconds left, and then kick the field goal. Because, hey, like, we're in field goal range, we can at least win it. Um, so I don't think it was – the debate here is that the timeout somehow – made the Raiders change their strategy. That on third and four, they were going to take a knee. That they were just going to play for the tie. But they were lined up in the shotgun. They were going to run a shotgun run and try to pick up the third and four. The only thing that changed, they had a timeout, they came back under center, and they ran the ball just as they would. They just happened to pick up 10 yards. And that was the thing that changed their strategy. They would have been content with a tie, but once they picked up 10 yards and they had a 47-yard field goal, whatever it was, they were like, all right, we'll take that because we have a chance to kick it to Cincinnati rather than take the tie and go to Kansas City. Doesn't it feel, though, that you don't want to give them the chance to regroup at that period? Like, the best thing for you as the Chargers' defense is that they have to do this quickly and on the fly. The last thing you want to do, particularly with a garbage run defense, is give them the chance to take a beat, reset, figure out how, what their next play wants to be to pick up that first down and then pivot or then you know definitely keep going for the win like the the thing in your best interest is to just take your chances with the four yards on third down he's he said it almost happened again he said they wanted to make it a longer field goal which i think is the most important thing there because if it was a 40 say it was a 55 yard field goal or whatever that's risky if you're the raiders and again chris laid this out like the blocked kick return to lose your playoff spot is is in play right if the Raiders had a 54 55 yard field goal they're probably taking a knee I mean they're probably just running the clock out and saying okay we're good let's go to the playoffs but the Chargers needed to make that stop on third and four they needed to hold them but I think you're three or four fewer yards and Staley wanted to get as he said his best 11 personnel run defense so your best 11 sucks no (laughs) yes it all sucks I mean you can't go like draft that's what I'm saying you can't go draft a nose tackle during the timeout but that's why I'm saying your best bet is the fact that they have to like get into their best offensive play on the fly with whatever personnel group they had out there right now versus you letting them reset and go, okay, here's the play we want for four yards. Yeah. Because your run defense is terrible. You're like your single best advantage is not the element of surprise, but your single best advantage is like making them do it, you know, without being able to to think about it and get organized. And you know what I mean? Like 
the, the disorganization, the chaos of this thing happening in real time is the single best thing you can bring to the table from a defensive point of view. The more structured this is, the worse your chance of stopping it is. So from a strategic standpoint, I get it. I think there's a lot of people who think that the Raiders just went from we were going to take a knee to, oh, we decided to run a football play because he called timeout. When it was really, if, if the question is the strategy of my best personnel group versus, hey, we'll run with whoever's out there against them having to like be, you know, not being able to take time to reset and all that stuff. I get that. I can understand that. But uh, either way, man, Chargers are exciting. <laughs> Yeah, for whatever it's worth. I mean, between Herbert and Staley, games. between Herbert Staley and the the sort of inbuilt DNA of the Chargers, Charger in games, they're arguably the most entertaining team in the NFL. It's unbelievable. And then um, I, I got to take a quick break here. I mean, because it was uh, I, I don't want to leave this game. I, I want to do a five hour podcast. I want to go all day here today, hmm. breaking it down. We have things to do. That's not a oh, we can't really do an option. But Raiders win by a close shave. I want to give the Raiders their credit, too. But speaking of shaves, cheers to 2022. Resolutions that you can keep here in 2022. How about keeping clean and shiny balls all year round, Sam? How about it? I love when you don't know what's coming. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and uh, sexiest ever. That's what they tell you. Mm -hmm. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. This is exclusive. No one else has this. Go to manscapes.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men. That's it. You know, is that motivating enough? 4 million men, almost 8 million testicles. All trusting. Almost. All trusting Manscaped. It's New Year, New Me with the global leaders in male grooming. Let's... uh. Shall we set our New Year's resolutions with the 4.0? Let's do it. Sure. Let's all do it together. How about we do that as a podcast? We're all family here. As a PFF NFL podcast, we will set our grooming resolutions together. This year, take your grooming to the next level with the Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine. But in the shower... The body wash smells great, too. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs. They're free gifts, all extra goodies when you sign up. So whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscapes.com for this exclusive offer. Cheers to new balls in 2022 mm -hmm. get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF it's over at manscapes.com that's 20% off with the free shipping and manscapes.com use the code PFF <sighs> it's new year no pubes in 2022 with manscapes wow man you know they took all the holiday reads and they just thrust them into the new year thrust them yes yes they did thrust they did. them right in there I love our friends over at manscaped always an exciting part of the show so go check it out manscapes.com the promo code is PFF. You know what I think we need for this podcast? I think we need a segment where we just read Magic Johnson tweets. And actually, so Austin and the, the tailgate guys have been playing around with this thing where people can leave in like voicemails and ask questions. It yeah, would actually, an old, it's we like should, an old uh, yeah, talk radio thing. Yeah, yeah but yeah. like interneted, digitized. Um, it feels like we could have people, we, people could could like call in and read magic johnson tweets like oh. listeners um because they're like there's a 
there's a Twitter account that's called Boring James Milner, which is like an English soccer star. And the whole skit is just him like, oh, we lost today, so I went back home and had a Ribena. The end, right? <laughs> Can I guess what the tweet is? How about guess the Magic Johnson Go tweet? Go on uh, what, what What's the topic? Uh, rookies. Rookies of the year. In the NFL? Yes. Uh, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones had a great year. But Cincinnati Bengals' Jamar Chase is your rookie of the year. No, you see, that's way too declarative. Way oh. too declarative. You need to, you as a fence sitter should be in tune with how magic I works on that, here. I thought that the magic thing is, not, is less fence sitting and more just stating the obvious. Well, it's stating the obvious. Yeah, it is. But the obvious in this situation is fence sitting, right? Because there's three rookies that had really good years. So obviously we're going to sit on the fence between all three. All right, let's hear it. <sighs> magic. I'm really torn between Bengals receiver Jamar Chase, Cowboys defensive end Micah Parsons, and Patriots quarterback Mac Jones for Rookie of the Year. If I had to pick one, it'd have to be Jamar Chase. I mean... You don't have to pick one. You don't. And you're right to, to like all three of them. Yeah. It's, it's also, per it's NFL 100% rules, true. two out of those three can win. Because we're going to have an offensive Rookie of the Year, we're going to have a defensive Rookie it of the Year. It just feels that, like, I think Magic... I think Magic should have more recognition for his stating of the obvious. He has a follow-up. There's What's a follow-up from Urban Magic Johnson. Chase showed up and showed out in the biggest games of the season and is one of the most exciting players in the NFL. <laughs> All true, Magic. All true. Yes, we can read. Austin, Austin from the tailgate, has uh, he's uh, likened my tweets to uh, Magic tweets every magic now and again. Magic tweets? Yeah. Okay. I do some purposely dry state the obvious tweets every now and again. All right? <laughs> I don't it's think Magic's doing it for I'm the... saying I do it with self-awareness. Yeah. I, know, I know Magic. Magic not so does much. not. Magic just out here stating the bleeding obvious every, every time. <sighs> Ten-hour show. Can we give some... Let's give some credit to the Raiders. I mean, this is... The Steelers don't make a ton of sense. They're mad in there. Steelers don't make a ton of sense. The Steelers don't seem to make a ton of sense. Their defense steps up when they need to. Their playmakers are decent and make some plays when they need to and all this stuff. Do the Raiders make any sense? Um, Josh Jacobs with a great game there, again, against the Chargers' run defense. Yeah. Derek Carr missed what could have been the game-winning touchdown, but he throws an absolute dime along the sideline uh, later. That was huge. And, look, the Raiders – Basaccia and all the drama of this season, got to give them credit, beating the Colts, beating the Chargers down the stretch here. Um, also, the other story of this game is poor Storm Norton on Norton's Island against Max Crosby. Yeah. And Max Crosby just whooped him pretty much every single snap. That's yeah. the other part that made Herbert's performance so impressive is like you knew your right tackle wasn't going to block Max Crosby for the majority of the time. Yeah, Max Crosby has led such a charmed existence this year in terms of players he's gone no, up against. No, just give him credit. There's credit for the Robert Quinn beat up on. We look at Robert Quinn's 2013 as like this legendary year, even though he got shut out anytime he faced the, the two times he faced somebody good. Doesn't matter. You win your matchups. That's what yeah. Max Crosby does. I just it, give him credit. It's week 18. I am. It's very rare that you're going to see a player have such a run of bad opposition to play. But anytime Max Crosby did play better people, he still showed up. Like he played Lane Johnson, who I think is our second team, all, all pro right tackle, like basically as good as it gets in the NFL right tackle. And he had four or five pressures against him, had some big plays, made a couple of run stuffs in there as well. Like Crosby looked like an all pro 
even when he went up against all-pro right tackles. On the other hand, he also played an amazing slate of right tackles where almost every single player he played was a backup of some description. And consequently, in this game, he had like 10 pressures and was a one-man wrecking crew. And yeah, it put um, Justin Herbert under all kinds of pressure. We have, we have Crosby with, as at the moment, 10 pressures in 10 other wins that uh, didn't necessarily become pressure. It, it's, it still needs to get the final review here. But he also rushed the passer 68 times. Let me just throw this out there, too. The other case for taking a knee is these dudes are exhausted. And I want, I, I want to give the boss credit for one more thing. When Kiss Chris, ass. What? Kiss ass. Yeah, it's, yeah, just saying. Just tell it like it is. When, <laughs> when Chris does something good on the show or an announcer does, uh, you give credit. Hmm. So uh, I thought Chris did a really good job of just like painting the picture of how exhausted the Chargers offense, their receivers were, and in turn, the Raiders pass rushers, they were on the field for so much, and the, and the Chargers are running vertical routes over and over and over again. So you've got these receivers who are just dead tired. Um, but Max Crosby rushing the passer 68 times, and Yannick Ngakwe rushing the passer uh, 62 times. And guess who plays the next football game? It's the Raiders. They play the first playoff game. It's this Saturday, in a weekend where there are games Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. There also could have been a debate that, like, I just don't want to play a hard-hitting overtime game or whatever it is and just save my guys a little bit. This is exhausting. Are we going to be able to recover in six days? Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, but credit again, the Raiders' defense for how often they're out there. But, again, you're facing the Chiefs. Like, for the Raiders in particular, the motivation to not have to play Kansas City again. Now, like, you might have to play them the next game. But the motivation to not have to play Kansas City again in your first playoff game, I think, overrides basically every other concern that was going to show up at least until – like those final couple of minutes where it was becoming a question. All right, you have anything else on this game? No, just madness. Like a game that a game that was setting up to potentially be an absolute farce, right? If everyone just kneels the game out and, you know, Goodell has to get on the phone and start threatening fines up the yin-yang to everybody, it ended up being arguably the most entertaining game in the NFL this season and was the last one. Absolutely incredible. I want to give another announcer credit. So we're going to talk for number one overall seed in the AFC. Kansas City wins 28-24 to on Saturday against the Denver Broncos. The crew here was uh, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet. You, you might know them from college football, Sam. You might know them. I was impressed. Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, both, Fowler's good. They're both just really good, I think, as, as just a tandem. Kirk Herbstreet came into this game really well prepared, I thought, for a guy that he spends his whole life in college football. And I know he watched all these guys in college. But it, you can't just go in there and be like, hey, Melvin Gordon was good at Wisconsin. Hey, Patrick Mahomes played at Texas Tech. Like, Kirk Herbstreit came in with some actual insight in how the Chiefs season was going and what they do defensively and the Broncos and all this stuff. I was just impressed by what Herbstreit did. And it's also National Championship Week. Like, they're going to call the Georgia-Alabama game tonight. That's where his head's at. ESPN already doesn't let him sleep, and, you know, he's got to do shows on, you know, two hours. I don't know. I was just impressed with Herbstreit. It was, good. It was a good job by him. Um, but the Chiefs win. And the Broncos had a chance to pull the upset, man. They were driving to potentially go up eight. But instead, Melvin Gordon fumble. Fumble six. And the Chiefs salvaged the win, 28-24, and put themselves in position to potentially get the number one seed, which uh, Tennessee Titans took away from them. But the Chiefs will have the number two seed in the playoffs here. Yeah, kind of like there can only be one good Josh Allen in a game. Apparently, only one Melvin can 
come out on top. And in this game, it was Melvin Ingram. Gordon was doing great until Ingram took over. God, I felt sorry for Melvin Gordon. He had had a really good game up until that point. And yes, like the fumble, and he still ended up with a really good grade. Um, And look, the fumble, it's on him as much as, you know, there's nothing to say that you have to like fumble the ball away when a dude hits you in the backfield. On the other hand, it was like it was a blown blocking assignment on the Denver offensive line that let Gordon come f- clean, free, and hit, or let Ingram come clean, free, hit Gordon in the backfield. Basically, the second he got the handoff, like it's a dead play. You know what I mean? They, he had no shot of getting anything positive out of that play because of a screw up somewhere else. It's just that it then got magnified with the fumble, scoop and score, and that was Denver essentially throwing this game away. Like they. They had Kansas City on the ropes. They had this game, quote-unquote, won. Like, they were ahead. They were driving. They were trying to put up more points on the board. And for the second time this year, they kind of played Denver really hard or played Kansas City really hard and were, you know, doing a good job. Yeah, in the first matchup, the Broncos' offense just could not move the ball. And this was an interesting one. Again, Herb Street kept pointing out some of the subtle things that Drew Locke was doing better, which I, I think was true. You know, there were definitely some times he didn't force it or whatever. And he wasn't perfect, but um, Drew Locke with two huge scrambles, including a 23-yarder for a touchdown. That was like the best thing that he did for a while. But yeah, there was a few s- simple plays where Locke, I thought, showed improvement as a passer. Again, he, he finishes 12 for 24 for a buck 62, but 65 passing grade, not terrible. No, didn't have uh, the turnover-worthy plays that you know Locke had been known for. He had cut down on those over these last few weeks. Um, again, I'm not saying Drew Locke was incredible down the stretch, but he did maybe you know show enough that people are going to consider him more as a guy that continued to show improvement throughout college. Is he making that same improvement here in the NFL? Um, on the other hand, Patrick Mahomes, had, he's got four dropped interceptions, as I tweeted out the other day, and everybody's like, ah, they don't count. They're incomplete. Four dropped interceptions for Patrick Mahomes over the last two weeks. Again, keeps pitching the ball to defenders. Yeah. Um, one of them, receiver, was a little off on his route, but I still think he missed it. And the other one was in the end zone, right? He's trying to take points off the board. Mahomes did not have his best game, but he did his best work scrambling. Again, too, a bunch of key first downs that he picked up with his legs. Yeah, like, Drew Locke was okay in this game. Um, it, I don't think he's shown enough that, like, any team, even including Denver, is like, uh, is he an option next year? Do, do, do we start Drew Locke again? No, because if, if you're asking that question, you're already losing, right? Right. The problem, I think, for Denver is that they have wasted the season to find out if he could have been more than that. Like, now you can't, based off the last couple of games, be like, can we talk ourselves into Drew Locke again next year? No, you can't. Like, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? The fact that you did it this year just got a dude fired who was a defensive-minded head coach. And, like, by not giving him any quarterback that was a better option than Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, that dude is now on the scrap heap for, like— that, that's pretty harsh, but that, the last time you did this, that was the result. You absolutely can't do it again next year. But you've now blown like an entire season's worth of, you know, for the sake of starting Teddy Bridgewater all season, you know, how far can Teddy take us? You have lost the opportunity to start Drew Locke for a whole season, which probably would have gone badly, but maybe Drew Locke would have shown games like this and games that were a bit better than this and you might have actually talked yourself into Drew Locke as a potential future starter and maybe could have been a potential future future starter had he had all of that game time but we'll never know so Drew Locke is now just you know a backup at this point oh now you're 
Now you're team Locke over Teddy. I'm pretty sure I said start Drew Locke in the first place. Only in tough games. I also advocate, yeah, I advocated the split him scenario. Okay. Um, by the way, you and your, like, Kirk, Kirk Herb Street is amazing, and this, this crew was great. It felt to me, like, this was a crew where I've said, I thought this before, actually, the last time they came on did NFL games. Because they come from this college world, right, everybody they talk about is amazing. Because the last time they saw them, they were amazing. Like, everybody in one of these games is the best player at their college school and was a, a college all-pro, right? Yeah. And now you get to the NFL, and it's like, actually, a lot of these guys suck now. And they can't wrap their head around that concept. So whenever a player comes up, it's like, oh, this guy, you know, was a great run defender back in BYU and one of the best tacklers you're ever going to see. It's like, yeah, but now he's like a, a scrub that gets his ass kicked every game. Like, they're the kind of crew that would talk up the, the impact of Daniel Sorensen, you know? Daniel's, yeah, that, that guy's got some savvy to him, you know? Experience for days. He's seen everything. He makes all these big plays. Like, the dude has a bullseye painted on him anytime a team plays him. So you need... Uh... I need some realism. You need my, a little more. I need to see you on color. I need, I need some realism to this my comment. This guy's trash. I, I need, this guy's horrible. I need the acknowledgement that actually that player you're talking about is not good. Can't believe this guy's even in the NFL. Yeah. I saw this guy in college. I can't even believe he's playing here. Relative to those you know, UPS drivers that he was beating the crap out of in college, that guy's a superstar. But, Fitting that this is a Saturday game because this dude has no business playing on Sundays. But relative to these NFL players, that dude's not good. Herb Street, they, they, they did a good job. They did a good job. <laughs> only because I thought they would just, only refer just to... like positivity. Yeah. No, it's not the positivity. I can't believe that they even knew where guys lined up. I, I know how hard it is. Why? These games are on TV. I know, but they, like, college people don't even watch the NFL all that much. They're, like, reviewing the 900 college games on Saturdays, on Sunday from Saturday. Yeah. Just saying. There's so much. I know how difficult it is to prepare for both NFL and college football. And I just, you know. I think you're giving a little too much credit to somebody knowing the Chiefs. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I am. So the Chiefs win 28 yes. to 24 over the Broncos. Uh, you know, it's an interesting Chiefs season. They end up 7 and 5 just in the conference. They go 5 and 0 oh against the NFC. Huh. But f- 7 and 5 in the American Football Conference. So what are the Chiefs going to do here on the playoff run? Patrick Mahomes, I mentioned, he put the ball in harm's way a couple times, plus had 78% of his yards come after the catch. I would say on the positive end here for the Chiefs, uh, Mecole Hardman goes eight catches for 103. Almost all of those came after the catch. Like, he has been dynamic as a playmaker. There's also just a lot of underneath stuff, right? The Broncos are giving the underneath, and Mahomes is doing a better job, I think. Take, forget the turnover-worthy play number. For the most part, Mahomes is taking the underneath stuff, letting these guys create after the catch. Hardman's doing that, and they did this without Tyreek Hill, who... Um, sort of. I mean, he still played. Yeah. He, also hilarious. Like, they brought him in for that fourth and one, where Re- they just run sprint right limping. option the whole time. Yeah. They just, but he's, like, uncoverable on that he one He played 12 route. snaps in this game, despite injuring himself in the pregame warm-ups and being, like, hobbled. Like yeah. visibly limping around the place. Remember that's huge, though. Remember that 2004 game where Randy Moss came back from whatever, like a, was it a hamstring injury uh, in the season? Came back for the playoff game and couldn't run. Like was limping. You know, like have you ever had a bad hamstring injury and you know that if you get beyond like 80% run, it's gonna like go again and you're screwed. So the maximum you can do is like a, a limping 80%. And then Randy Moss somehow in that game limped his way past Al Harris, who was hand up in the air, caught a touchdown. Like, 
Tyreek Hill was limping as badly as Randy Moss in this game. They have him moving in jet motion, and the guy is, like, hobbling, you know, past the line, hopping, basically, knowing that the play is, is not really going where he wanted to. I don't know why he was out there. Yeah, at that point, I don't know either. I mean, you need him for next week. Yes. You need him very soon. And then they brought him back out again for that key fourth and one where he hobbles in and gets, it gets open. I mean, he just gets <laughs> open on that quick flat route, but it's a key play. I mean, And you didn't, I mean. You they didn't, wanted him because they, they still had hope maybe to get the number one seed. Right, even but though you the didn't Titans had need, such a high. need it. Like, yeah, it wasn't, you know, if you lose this game, okay, seeding's, you know, seeding happens and it's not great, but like, it doesn't matter. You're still in the playoffs next week. If you lose Tyreek Hill next week, it matters. Um, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, though, so you need a, you need a healthy Tyreek Hill. But in a game, uh, Hardman and Byron Pringle were the top two receivers. Travis Kelsey was third. I think we're starting to see those other weapons emerge a little bit for Kansas City, which is their biggest question mark. It's still, look, they scored 21 points offensively in this game with the seven on the defensive side of the ball. This was more like midseason Chiefs. But it is good to have those other guys emerge right now. And they're going to go up against the Steelers team where their best bet might be to run the ball anyway. They might be able to rest Tyreek this week. The, the Chiefs are really interesting now because Mahomes is not playing at the level he's played at before at all, all season long. hasn't hasn't been all year, still isn't. Um, and as much as you're like, you know, let's just let's just park the turnover-worthy plays for a second. Like that's a one of the issues from earlier in the year is when you forced him to be patient, and not just him, everybody on that offense. When you force them to play patiently, take the underneath stuff, um, do this you know, a, a hundred plays at a time, they made mistakes and it would, they would make it five plays and then somebody would cough the ball up or fumble or drop it or Mahomes would pitch it to a defender and one of these things would create a turnover and that's what started like all of a sudden pressures being heaped on them. And then, then you make them do it again and they're like, oh, can we get this done? We were making mistakes when we get forced to do this and the whole thing starts to like compound and sink in on itself. Now it's not happening, but kind of only because they're getting lucky. And like Mahomes is throwing the ball to defenders still, and they're getting dropped, which is fine. Like that's the flip side of that coin. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get unlucky. But it's kind of hiding the fact that the same things are happening. Like now, if you force the Chiefs to be patient the way teams are doing earlier in the year, the same things are actually happening. It's just they're not being punished for them at the moment. So, and they kind of could have been in this, like if, forget them actually coming up with those turnover-worthy plays. If the Broncos simply hadn't fumbled the ball away, they might have won this game. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, Kansas City's offense didn't really fire again. They have a hobbled Tyreek Hill. They Every time they're forced to shuffle receivers because somebody gets injured, it looks weird and, war- and bad. And, you know, Mahomes, Mahomes and the receivers that are in new roles aren't on the same page. And this has been like a two-year problem for them, that any time... Anytime receivers have to move to a different spot that they're used to playing, everybody seems to like immediately lose the run of what's happening. Like they don't know where they're supposed to be. And that's where you see not just Mahomes missing guys, but Mahomes on a different page from his receivers. So all of a sudden, like all these things together, you're like, how good is this team? Because they keep winning and they keep doing a good job against good teams. Like Denver is a really good defense, whatever about their offense. But this isn't the Kansas City from a few years ago. Or all, the last few years, right? All told, the Chiefs still score 480 points. Yeah. That's 
That's second in the AFC behind the Bills, who scored 483. I think they have the highest scoring drive rate in the NFL. Yeah, and that, so that was the other thing I was going to bring up. How many times did we see them start a game like they did in this one? 17 plays, 91 yards. They just drive down the field, and it's like, oh, Mahomes looks patient in this game. How much is it just they're, they're just not having those one-minute, two-minute drives that they used to have? It's a lot of five, six, seven-minute drives. Therefore, they're having fewer drives, so their per-play efficiency is fine, and all that, but they're just not scoring – as many points it doesn't it's it's not because it's not as explosive it's not as quick hitting it's not a bunch of those 50 60 yard plays that they would pull out right or whatever it is um i just wonder how much the chiefs are actually shortening the game on themselves or teams are making the chiefs shorten the game on themselves therefore everything's tightening up right You're, yeah. everybody's gonna have which isn't good for them in a game i mean yeah i mean you would rather have 40 yard bombs it feels more fragile than it, than it was before like Yes. What made the Chiefs so devastating in the past is that when a team like Houston got up, what, 24 points on them in the first few minutes, it was like, it doesn't really matter. This Chiefs team can score at will. 24 points in a whole game is nothing. Like, they're going to come back, and that's how this game goes. And every time that happened, any time the Chiefs got in a big hole, you're like, whatever. Pat, let Patrick Mahomes give him some time, and this will we'll get this back. Now, if the Chiefs get down a big hole, you're like, can they come back in the same way? I don't know. Seven and five in the conference. Surprised me when I, I mean, I just. The bigger you, part, you of the, back the more it. surprising part of that is five and zero oh against the NFC, who have been the better conference this year. Yeah, but they played the NFC East ah, this year. Yeah, that'll explain it. So they played Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, football team, plus the Packers with Jordan Love. Yeah, so the Cowboys is their one win. The Cowboys is the, the one uh, signature NFC win. For the Chiefs. Before we get to the Titans sealing the number one seed, the NFL players are here. That's what we're talking about. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, they're kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. I think this is an even better bet than what they had last week. It is. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest, and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So listen up. You download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Do it now. Use the promo code PFF, and you get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. That's crazy. Bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets if your team wins. I assume you can go over 5, right? To get that 56 to 1 odds. But either way, it's 5 to win 280. It's promo code PFF this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. So it's a minimum 5, right? You can go over and get your 56 to 1 odds. It's one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Saw Jesse the other day. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Hmm. And then she had the extra part in there where she goes, mmm, chicken. I can have the little chicken pop up and everything. That wasn't in our read. No. Jesse nailed it, though, on the TV. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That was old, though. That was like, that was before Thanksgiving. All right, Titans win. Got a little, uh, got close there. In yeah. The, end. the Davis Mills people are asking for you to acknowledge that he's good. Or at least one guy. One guy. Um, Davis Mills with another legit game statistically but the titans win 28 to 25 ryan Tannehill, four touchdowns making some big throws in here and uh you've got westbrook akina aj brown anthony ferkshire and julio jones all finding the end zone 
for the Titans, who uh, they get next week off because of it. Yeah, which is huge for them. Um, get healthy, get Julio, get A.J. Brown, who was in the medical tent at some point in that game, get Derrick Henry, arguably back as well. Um, I think I think for them that week makes maybe the biggest difference of anybody that could have got there. Um, so good for them. Like, snag it. They... You know, similar position to Indianapolis in terms of like just take care of business against a bad team. Uh, and Houston, it looked like it was completely out of, you know, gone. They were, the Titans were ahead. Houston, again, they're not good, even if they beat them before. And they clawed their way back into it. They made it close. Um, Tennessee kind of scraped over the line. But yeah, the Texans made this a tough battle. And people are, David Culley is apparently either on the way out or being talked about as on the way out, which feels harsh as hell. Like, if that's happening, it's an indictment over last year's process because David Culley, whatever the expectations were, he's exceeded them. But I, I, I saw somebody lay this out, and I think it perfectly sums up my feelings. David Culley was brought in to temper the Deshaun Watson situation. I don't see how, like, I don't, he wasn't the guy taking bullets over that. Like, Nick Casario was the guy taken all the crap i mean there was like a couple of days where david cully had to deal with like why is deshaun watson not at practice and he was sort of like yeah this is the situation we're dealing with let's move on and then the focus goes away from him and more to the guy actually making that call which is not david cully like you don't hire a dude to take a week's worth of crap about deshaun watson I mean, if you do, that's, again, an indictment over what your ridiculous process was. I think what this is, is remember last year, it was like David Cully. Who the hell is that guy? This kind of feels like an afterthought hire. What are we doing here? Did they never come off? I mean, they hired him. Yeah, but I mean, it's starting to look like what was said last year is actually right on the money. And this whole thing was just like, quick, we need a guy in the seat to bring this dude in. Uh, And then next year we'll fire his ass and we'll go look for somebody that can actually do the job long term. The only way you could get rid of Cully or or talk yourself into that is if you just had different expectations for the Texans. Like you and I came in with the expectations of one win. Not just you and I, but you and I and like at one point their betting market, I think, was set at one and a half wins. The line like they were supposed to suck. So we we we. Just a fascinating offseason for Nick Casario and the Texans, right? Because we said how they brought in all these mid-tier, not even mid-tier players. They just brought in 95 role players, yeah, right? If they thought that they were like an eight or nine win team because of all this depth that they created. Then they were out of their minds. Then they were out of their minds, right. I mean, they were in this fantasy world of what they were. And they're like, well, we're the Texans. We landed it. Four wins. Yeah. So what I, they did is they took a third round quarterback, Davis Mills, made him look pretty good. They were competitive in other games. They got whooped in some other games. But like more often than not, the Texans brought it. They just took the yeah. number one seed, you know, to the end here in a three point loss. They beat this number one seed a few weeks back. I mean, by I think all my measures, by our measures, the Texans exceeded expectations. So David Culley. Now the the next question is, just because you have a coach with the lowest of low expectations, just because he exceeded them, does that mean he's the guy to go forward? When you do give them more talent, you see this in the NBA a lot, right? There's some coaches who are good in the rebuild situation. There's other coaches who are good when they have talented players. Do you, do you assess Cully based off of these low expectations that he exceeded? 
can he handle more talent, so to speak? I, I don't know. But I mean, maybe that's where the discussion's going. Like, he's good in this particular situation, but once we get a better team, maybe he's not the guy for that. I don't know. I, the only way it makes any sense to me is if they never really had a lot of faith in him in the first place and he was just sort of there because they needed a dude. Like, I don't know if they're whoever they wanted last year got hired away from them and they just had to settle for Cully or they didn't like anybody last year and were like, let's just get a guy in and then revisit this in 12 months' time and we'll get a real coach at that point. Like, you know, maybe, they, maybe they're big on one of the candidates this year that wasn't really an option a year ago. Whatever. Like, anything, any way of explaining David Gully getting fired after the year that just, that just existed hinges on the fact that they didn't have, they didn't believe in him in the first place. Like, I don't see, I don't think it's, A, I don't think it's, I certainly don't think it's plausible that they just had, like, they thought they were a playoff team. And like, oh, look at this no, guy. I think- so I think that's unrealistic. I also don't really buy the idea that like 12 months into Cully's tenure, they've decided that despite him overachieving on the field, we've decided that like seeing him work, you know, with the nuts and bolts in the background, we think actually this guy sucks and we're going to get rid of him even though that we were, we were, were yeah. overachieving as a team. I, the only way it makes any sense to me is if they never really thought that he was more than a stopgap hire in the first place. It felt like a stopgap hire. Yeah. And then when he goes and exceeds expectations, especially, you know, Dan Campbell's on a longer contract, but you would put him in that Dan Campbell boat of like, hey, pretty good. I mean, Dan Campbell's 11-6 against the spread. That's a, that's a great season. Uh, but anyway, um, the, thing, the one thing you said that stood out to me was maybe there was a candidate. Maybe there'll be a candidate here that they love that they didn't have an opportunity for last year. Yeah. Uh, I'm never advocating for like taking people's jobs and all that stuff, but if if, if I'm going to use that same mentality on quarterbacks, of hey, if a better one comes along, you take that opportunity. I guess you would do the same thing with head coaches. Like David Culley's fine; he did great. But like Urban Meyer's available, we didn't know he'd be available. We can get him. Hmm. Hypothetically, whatever. I'm just using a name. It, it changes everything. Maybe they're all. Did in you on know that? that Davis Mills is now the all-time franchise rookie passing leader for Houston? More passing yards than any other Houston rookie. Which would be what? Like David, David Carr. Carr. Yeah. <laughs> Davis Mills has now surpassed David Carr. Yeah. You know how many yards that is? Uh, 2,300. 2,664 for yeah. Davis Mills. Carr was at 25-something. Uh, Kevin Clark, by the way, retweeted one of the all-time takes that I, that I missed back in November when David Carr had it. That... Um, David Carr, NFL analyst, completely unbiased when he gets out there on NFL mm, Network. Impartial NFL analyst who just happens to share a surname with a, an NFL quarterback that exists. He now. said, when the Raiders make the Super Bowl. When? When. Yeah. Oh, let, me just, let me just pull this out. Exactly. I don't want to misquote no. David Carr. You wouldn't want to get that wrong. Shoot, where did this go? When the Raiders make the Super Bowl. This is back on November 2nd. And I, he's coming at this from like the controversies going hot and heavy and with the Raiders and all that stuff. When the Raiders make the Super Bowl, I will argue successfully, I might add, yes. that not only is Derek, this is where you put brackets, Carr, right? Yeah. Derek, because that's his brother, Derek. That not only is Derek the MVP, I will make the case that there has never been a more valuable player. <laughs> Derek Carr, MVP Derek. of the universe. MVP. <laughs> <laughs> MV, what, like, and it's still in play. I mean, the Kevin Clark retweeted because it it's still in play because the Raiders can still make the, the playoffs. I mean, the, the Super Bowl and Derek Carr could be MVP of the universe of all time. AT MVP. All time MVP. AT, yes. It's a whole different discussion. Forget Brady. Forget Rodgers. Forget this season 2021 debate. Hmm. The all time MVP. 
is uh, is Derek Carr. Never been a more valuable player. But rest in peace to David Carr's uh, longstanding rookie Texans record back in 2002, presumably, because that was his rookie season. Uh, Davis Mills balled out again. He just continues to make these big-time throws. And um, what do you do with a third-round quarterback that's shown enough? He hasn't been great, but he's exceeded third-round expectations. If he, I, it's one of those, if he was drafted fifth overall, you'd yeah. be on the more d- disappointing side. But because he's in the third round, you're on the encouraged side. I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I don't th- know that he would be disappointing if he was the fifth overall pick. But I think your, progno- your outlook would change if he was the fifth overall pick. If, he was, if he'd been drafted five overall and this was the season you'd had from him, I think you could look into next year and you'd say, yeah, Davis Mills is... It's definitely the starter going forward. We've seen enough. We've there's seen some enough. Encouraging there's signs. been enough of this yeah. stuff. There's been yeah. some encouraging signs, and let's build around him and let's go, right? We, we're confident that we got it right, even if there have been some struggles and some ugly games in there as well. Because he was a third-round pick, you're like, all right, these games are nice. Like, we've got three, I think, really good games in there. We've also got three really bad games in there and a bunch of stuff in the middle. What, what's the totality of that? Which is like, meh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, eh, I don't know. So the only saving grace for Houston, I think, is that they're bad enough, and this is a bad enough draft class, that you can definitely construct an argument that says, let's go find the starters for everywhere else and give, da- give Davis Mills next year and then revisit this in 12 months and see where we are. Like the season that Denver should have done with Drew Locke this year, let's give Drew Locke this season, let's throw resources everywhere else, and then let's come back in a year and see where we are. And if we need the quarterback, let's throw everything at that next year. Houston, I think they need everything, right? They're still a bad roster top to bottom. There isn't an awful lot of difference between their starters and their backups. That's usually not a good situation to be in. So go find everything else. Give Davis Mills next year because what the hell? Really? Well, what, the what, number three overall pick. What are your so, alternatives? The alternative is you just get another QB in the building. Oh, we have plenty of time to talk about this. We can't do it today. Houston Texans and their QB decision. We'll talk about it more. Um, let's give credit to the Titans. They played three more players. 91 total players saw the field for the Tennessee Titans this year. 91. Mike Vrabel is my coach of the year pick. I was on the uh, uh, Peter King's column today. He asked for some picks. I sent in my coach of the year pick. I'm giving it to Mike Vrabel. Hmm. So um, I really think you know, I called him the next Tomlin earlier in the year. Let's stick to that. Uh, as a guy that just just pulls it together no matter what is happening there. And the Titans might not be the flashiest number one seed of all time, but A.J. Brown is special. Ryan Tannehill still playing really good ball over these last couple of years. Whatever Julio Jones brings to the table feels like a bonus right now, plus Derrick Henry, who is not activated for this game, but he's coming back. So um, Tennessee Titans, number one seed. They got that one week to get even healthier. Kind of just see what happens. AFC is wide open, man. Peter King uh, refers to his poll of 36 smart ex-players and smart media folk. Which one am I? Well, you're certainly not an ex-player, at least not in the football sense of things. I'm I'm a smart ex-player. I mean, my biggest problem with that is I'm not sure you're smart, so I'm not sure you fit either of those categories. I'm one of the 36, apparently, you know. I do wonder if he put me in the ex-player or the ex... uh, Because I am a player. He loves talking about... He loves talking ball. Baseball. (laughs) Loves talking baseball. Glad somebody does. Yeah. Maybe Peter and I should do a football baseball crossover you podcast. Do that podcast. Yeah. That would be amazing. What if I do it in Peter King's voice the whole time? I I would listen to that. <laughs> I think one one episode. <clears throat> one episode yeah. of Peter and Peter. It's probably oh, that's what we'll do. Thing. Peter and Peter. We'll call it Peter and Peter. <laughs> uh, 
you see the no, I can't do it right now. I'm just not in <laughs> I'm not in character. But I usually have a pretty good if you if you've been listening for long enough, I interviewed uh, Patrick Mahomes, PFT commenter, as Pat, as Peter King a few years ago on our podcast. Mm. Yeah, if you remember. Some people will remember. We've got an hour left here on the show. We're That's an great. hour and a half in. Where else are we going here? What else happened in the AFC? Oh, by the way, one last thing in this game. Did you see the Jeffrey Simmons play? They, they, Jeffrey Simmons comes in, lines up at fullback, executes actually a really nice block to spring the runner into the end zone touchdown. Jeffrey Simmons forgot to report. <laughs> touchdown comes off the board. Yeah. Mike Vrabel was mad. I think Mitchell Schwartz pointed this out. Mike Vrabel was mad to the kind of incandescent level that suggests that's not the first time Jeffrey Simmons has screwed that up. And then Mitchell's point was, I bet he's done that multiple times in practice, and they've spent the last week being like, make sure you (laughs) report. And he didn't report. He didn't report. And the touchdown came off the board. Now, I think they scored anyway on that drive. Do Do you just take that whole formation out of the playbook? But it was really good. He, he, like, he crushed a dude. <laughs> it worked. When, when know, they're going to bring him in, you just have somebody next to him. Yeah, like a buddy. Yeah. You, you just walk him to the official. Your fourth string defensive tackle is like Jerry, Jeffrey Simmons' reporting friend. That's yeah. It. That's what you do. Not, not like somebody on offense that's going to be in there anyway. Like the, whoever the, the, the receiver is on the play, right? Your job is to go in with Jeffrey, take him to the official, make sure yeah. he reports, and then take him to the huddle. Yeah, I think that'd be smart. Uh, 28-25, Titans win. They lock up the number one seed, and we've got plenty of uh, Texans who finished 4-13. and Plenty of discussion about the Texans and what they're going to do with the uh, very impressive Davis Mills and their quarterback situation this offseason. Well, let's just round out the AFC. Um, Bills beat the Jets 27-10. to There's really not much to talk about in this game. There wasn't much to preview. There's not much to talk about except the Jets. They hung tough. Um, in a game where they hung tough, Zach Wilson also went 7-for-20 for 87 yards uh picked up 24 on the ground as well and just i don't know bill it felt like the bills were playing down to them a little bit but you know the jets played the bucks tough last week played the bills tough this week bills pulled away late with another touchdown but did they cover the spread again is this the set that they did this is like because it was 16 we had a third or fourth time recently that the bills have done this where it's been a grind and you're like you know, a massive, uh, a massive spread for Buffalo as favorites heading into a game. And it's been an absolute slog for most of the game. And then all of a sudden, like, late, late they pull away and they cover the, they cover the monstrous line in the first place. You know, eh, no problem. I, I don't know if that means anything, but it has been a trend. Like, Buffalo has, has struggled to, for most of the game, to grind past a few of these teams. And then, bim, bam, boom. We walk away, and if you just look at the score, all is normal. Josh Allen had five big-time throws yeah. in this game. A and bunch of drop passes. Like they, It could have been even more. Yeah, it absolutely could have. I mean, some of the stuff, a lot of his big-time throws came in the end zone. One of them, I think we gave credit for it. Um, could have been more production-wise, not big-time throw-wise. Right. Those will be the same, whether or not they're called. This throw that he made uh, to Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis runs out of the uh, – he's running along the back line. Right, steps out. There is this much room to sneak the ball in. Jeff Allen, uh, J- Josh Allen steps through the pocket, throws a laser beam, because that's all he throws, laser beams, right through that tight window, puts it on his hands, but he's out of bounds. Just saying, there is – like, man, he is fun to watch. 
Josh Allen, there is stuff happening on every play. You'll have him throw a laser beam, dime like that, then he'll overthrow the next play. It doesn't matter. There's just a lot of stuff happening when Josh Allen plays. But um, look, Bills, they're going to they're gonna host the Patriots now. They're the number three seed. They win the AFC East. This, they needed this to solidify the AFC East. The Patriots lose, so it didn't really matter. Uh, but Bills move to 11-6. and six. They win the AFC East for the second straight time. They're going to host New England in the first round. Early, early weather report is 18 degrees, 50% chance of snow. So we might get a weather game yes. in Buffalo against the Patriots. Here for that. Yeah. Um, and, and you do want to see the Bills, uh, I think, run the ball enough to kind of keep the defense honest. You get Devin Singletary with 88 yards in this one. Josh Allen, of course, always picking up yards on the ground. He had 63 um, but another one of those like weird games for Allen where all, a lot of his special throws just became incomplete. But the last time we saw Allen against the Patriots, it was the Josh Allen show in New England with the division on the line. Allen hasn't really played a good playoff game yet, by the way. He's played a few, hasn't played a good playoff game. So let's see if this is the year for him to uh, take that next step. Massively excited by that matchup. Like I, I, that's one of the you know a lot of times the third time two teams play you're like eh, I don't I'm not sure I want to see that again. That, Ready I do one. definitely want to see this yeah. one again. Is it, I mean they had the Mac Jones throws three times in 50 mile an hour win game. Yeah. They had the game in New England which was just awesome. With I mean the the I don't know if there were more playoff implications as far as seeding and stuff. Every game's important, but that one had as much as any in in the NFL this year. Not only, by the way, has Allen not really played a good playoff game, he's kind of spectacularly imploded a couple of times. Yeah. Like He also decided to just pitch the ball again yesterday. You know, the, the lateral and everything. I mean, God, he's, I love that. He's got it in him to just, like, crazy stuff's going to happen. That playoff pitch to, was Dawson Knox for, like, out the back blind. Yeah. Against the Texans, right? It was such a, like, it was on. I like, I like his thought process. Execution, not so much, but the thought. The I like pitch it. is always just like when Mahomes is scrambling to his right, the throwback across his body is always on. Josh Allen lateral is always on. You never know when it's coming. And I love it. So that's what's going to happen Saturday night in Buffalo. We're going to be pitching the ball. You're going to be throwing dimes in the end zone. They might get caught. They might not. And you're going to be just who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But uh, 27 to 10, Jets have an off season to figure out now. How do, you, how do you build it around Zach Wilson? The Jets have locked in number four overall in the draft and then number 10 from the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. So they've got some decisions as far as uh, which way they're going to go when it comes to building around Zach Wilson. Not a great game for Wilson, who was coming off of maybe his best game in week 17 against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, and then New England and Miami. The Dolphins win 33-24, to late touchdown to make it look like a two-score game, but it was 27-24. Uh, Patriots had to run a little lateral deal and lateraled into the end zone. Uh, but the Dolphins got up early, man. They got up. Really nice drive to go up 7-0. Then Mac Jones picks six by Xavier Howard. Just completely missed red. I mean, cover two trap, man. This is like Peyton Manning in 1998. Can't, can't read cover two, man. The rookie. He just misread it, man. Yeah. Xavier Howard Can't pick do that. six. <laughs> Points go the other way. Patriots clawed back into it, but uh, it was not enough. The uh, Battle of Bama goes to Tua in this one. They yeah. both weren't great. Do you think, uh, you think Tua started, you know, went up to Jalen Waddle and was like, uh, who's your QB now? Who's your QB now? I'm 2-0 against you What do you want guys. this time? I just got you the rookie I'm reception record yep. and beat that dude. Huh? You said, oh, Mac Jones is the guy. 
Huh? We don't give. Like, How do you Waddle, like it now? Waddle's record doesn't count, right? Oh, stop it. Five catches for 27 yards. You have an asterisk. You only, what about, your, I'm only a 12-game record man. Anything that happened in the 14 or the 16-game era, I don't count. Stop it. You are not. No, of course I'm not. That's how dumb your, your argument is. I know, I know you're not that guy, but 70s football doesn't even count. Okay, so 70s doesn't count, and the 17-game schedule doesn't count. Just only stop. the 1970s is a nice cutoff. You're a se- 16 game only schedule. the 16-game schedule is what you're counting. That's, what you're, that's, that's your point. Yes. That's a dumb point, and yeah. you should stop making it. Because people don't – because every year you're be like, oh, this record's broken, oh, this record's broken, and nobody's going to even acknowledge, like, oh, you got the extra game. You had the extra game to do it. Yeah. You had the extra game to do it. Which has already happened multiple times. Yeah, but nobody cares about the 70s records that were broken. Now, because we've been 30 years of not having them. Well, maybe I'll change my tune in 30 years. Oh, great. Can't wait for that. Oh, are we still going to be doing this when we're 30 years from now? Okay, oh. podcast. Hmm. I'm going to cough talk. Great. Um, <coughs> Tua, at least back to, you know, passable. Like, he'd had a rough stretch for a while. This was... You know, the standard to a solid game, made some nice plays, got uh, Waddle in the back of the end zone, a, a decent play. This entire offense is kind of manufactured, though. Like, they at some point need to fix the offensive line, or Tua or whoever the quarterback is has no shot. Duke Johnson's balling out, though. Yeah. They found a nice running back to build around. To build around. To build around. To build around. We don't have to, maybe Johnson. we don't hear about, have, to, have to hear about the Dolphins needing a running back. You think? Just get Duke in there. I don't think they need a running back anyway. Aren't they just like no. taking the approach? I mean, A, remember, worst offensive line in the NFL by a mile. Like, people have been saying uh, taking Josh Jacobs as high as the Raiders did may have been, I mean, was a bad mistake anyway. But, like, people are sort of pointing to his production this year and are saying, well, that's why you don't take him, right? Because he's already been broken down and beat up and he's just not the player he was like, yeah on the other hand he's also running behind one of the worst offensive lines in the nfl that's going to have an impact on the running backs production miami has the worst offensive line in the nfl that has to be desperately protected by quick passing and rpos and all these kinds of things of course they don't have a running back who's having legitimate production like Let's fix that first before we evaluate if any of these running backs are capable of like you know carrying the load but doing it behind a bad run-blocking offensive line, impressive. Um, it does feel like every two a pass is uh, on an RPO or a play action, you know, a, some sort of um, schemed-up type of pass. So, you know, plenty of question marks will still remain with Tua and the Dolphins. But look, <clears throat> nice little comeback to the Dolphins' season, 9-8. and eight. I think they landed where they should in that 9-8 and eight range. Patriots fall to 10-7. and seven, uh, But they're going to the playoffs to play the Bills, as we just mentioned. So, man, I can't wait for that game with... Uh, potential weather on a Saturday night in Buffalo. Hunter Henry with some huge plays. I mean, that was the, the Patriots offense. It was a couple couple downfield throws. It was a different Patriots offense that had generally been efficient on the underneath stuff and all that. But this was like Hunter Henry getting behind the defense. Jacoby Myers getting behind the defense once. It was big play driven. A couple nice runs. Like Brandon Bolden at running back becoming like having like a career year after a career of special teams. Makes no sense. But he had a really nice 19-yard <laughs> touchdown in there. Uh, Mac Jones was upset with his performance. Probably should be. Yeah. Uh, turned the ball over a couple times. and Fumble. Couple, yeah, had the fumble in there as well. It just uh, uh, Look, they battled back, but Mac Jones is going to have to play better football than he did down the stretch here. The Patriots are, I mean, they're not unique in this, but they have shown in recent weeks how much 
the variance in Mac Jones determines how likely they are to win games or not. Like, if Mac Jones plays to the higher end of his range of outcomes, the Patriots are a very difficult team to beat and have a good chance of winning even against Buffalo in the postseason. Mac Jones plays on the low end of his variance. They have It's a hard job for the Patriots to win games. Like, they don't have enough outside of Mac Jones to overcome that. So it's a pretty tough spot to be looking at a rookie quarterback who was a lot of people's fourth or fifth best passer available in the draft. You're like, congratulations, you've made the postseason year one. Now you need to carry this team. Harsh, but that's, that's the reality of where the Patriots are. Yeah, I mean, let's not, let's not misunderstand what happened during this Patriots dynasty. They got elite quarterback play. They got elite quarterback play and won a whole bunch of close games where the quarterback made fourth quarter comebacks in the playoffs. That's Tom Brady, by the way. Hmm. Um, good clarification. That's why they were so good. I mean, you can't – I don't think you can win without good quarterback play. It's not crazy. Um, so uh, New England, another fascinating story too because they've just been okay against good teams uh, but have pretty much you know, destroyed non-playoff teams, <laughs> You know, scored 40 and 50 points. So we'll see what happens in Buffalo here. This week, um, don't forget, by the way, we're giving 25% off on everything over at pff.com, every single subscription, using the promo code NFLPOD because you guys, you're like our family, right? We're going to have, we got the Manscaped family. We're all going to, you know, get that together. You need to be way more careful with, you know, your the family jewels. No, you do what you like, your own family jewels. It's more the suggestion that there's a community aspect to this whole Manscaped thing. Okay, well, let's just, let's just keep it Way there. more careful. Okay. You know, the, you're throwing these things out. You do what out, you want. Fast and loose. And these are, these, I, I want to disassociate myself from any group aspect of this thing you are inadvertently suggesting. It's a good point. It's probably a good point. Yeah. Even though it's waterproof, you can use it outside? All for that, just by yourself. But, um... Or with your own family. NFL yeah. Pod's you a and great. the wife. I want no part of it. <laughs> NFL Pod's a great promo for the family, though, because you get 25% off any PFF subscription. And it's the perfect time. It's the perfect time to sign up. You know the draft guide's coming down the line here. You know all of the great content this offseason. What are your teams going to do? All that stuff, part of the edge package. And then Elite. We're going to have the last regular season grade Un- unveiling right here you get all the grades for the playoffs every single player graded on every snap so you get 25 percent off using the promo code nfl pod and it's just for our dedicated listeners here so we appreciate you guys all right let's get to what else do we have to get to is that everybody in the afc hour and 45 minutes and we made it through the afc sweet <laughs> let's go to the nfc what was the biggest game here the with the 49ers rams 49ers Rams. 49ers win 27 to 24. Incredible back and forth game. You got the Rams jumping up to a 17 nothing lead. At one point, Sean McVay was tackling his players in the end zone when they get up 17 to nothing. An absolute dime from Matthew Stafford. I think it was five big time throws he ended up with. He threw some incredible passes in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, had some bad ones as well. But he threw some incredible passes in this one. But the touchdown to Tyler Higby, it looked like the Rams had figured this out, right? You finally beat the you're finally beating Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Um, what was at stake here for the Rams was the number two seed, right? So they're playing for something here, just like the Bucks and the Cowboys were playing for something. Which is important. Seed. Yeah. Like it's being because only the number one seed now gets the bye, uh, people are sort of occasionally treating the number two as if it's just, it's just another seed. There's no difference between two, three, four. It still has like all of the other benefits of the two seed when it did have the bye. Which is like, you know, 
the only team that can force you to travel in the playoffs is the number one seed. If, if everything else plans out as it is, you're going to be hosting every other playoff game. It's a good thing. You know what I mean? You're facing Divisional the worst round teams. Home game. Right. Yeah, it's you're, huge. you're playing at home and generally against the worst teams. That's a really useful thing to have. You just don't get the extra week's rest. Yeah, if the number one seed loses, you become the number one right. seed. Right, and, and then the whole thing has to go through your building. There are a lot of benefits. Um, so, yeah, the yeah we didn't. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> Browns fan Tyler in the back saying, oh, the AFC is not done. You didn't talk Bengals-Browns. We didn't. We but really didn't. We made a promise about three and a half hours ago that we would not talk. Bengals Browns. Now look, we have to cover every game, so uh, right. can we so pause? Pause. Kate, this is going to screw up our timestamps if we if they ever land on YouTube here. Well, let's do it after this then. Let's finish the forty nine. We're going to circle back. Yeah, to the AFC. All right, we'll do. We have twenty five seconds allotted. <laughs> it's it's to not going to take long. Don't Browns worry about game. it. We'll just name a player on each team. Anyway, and move on. Yes, back to so the the Rams are up seventeen to nothing. They're yeah. on their way to the number two seed. All they had to do was and more win. to the point. The 49ers are like blowing again. They're they're repeating the Indianapolis trick, albeit without you know a bad opposition. Like they win and you're in. You're the team nobody wants to play. Take care of business against a really good NFC team, and you are in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, it's completely disappearing in front of them. And then uh, so it's seventeen to nothing. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's turned the ball over. You get a bad force fumble. You get a bad airmailed interception. But big drive before the half. Uh, I think it was Brandon Ayuk over the middle. They find him to get into field goal range just to make it 17-3. to And then they just kept crawling back into it. And the thing that we've said that makes the Niners dangerous is their playmakers. And we just saw them take over at times, whether Debo uh, sifting through the defense for a 16-yard touchdown run. That was awesome. Debo then comes back, throws a touchdown pass as well. And then the guy we never mentioned as a playmaker is Juwan Jennings and what he's done emerging as a legitimate threat over the middle of the field. He had the game, uh, the game tying touchdown uh, late in the game just to get it to overtime. But Juwan Jennings has become a weapon over the middle. Man, what a great back-and-forth game. So it, it's, it's tied up at 17 then the Rams come back. Matthew Stafford, highest-graded quarterback in the fourth quarter, and he has his magic. Man, another – he was putting the ball, though. I'm just saying. Stafford had a good game overall. He had a very good game overall. He threw the game-ending interception, but a very good game overall. Puts the ball on Cooper Cup in the back of the end zone. Has a third and six where he puts the ball right on Cooper Cup's hands on a corner route. This game, as far as high-leverage plays, was just an incredible back-and-forth battle. Yeah, and it, again, it was the full Matthew Stafford experience. Like at one point, the first half, he was lighting everything on fire. He was playing great. And uh, Stephen Ruiz from, where is he, the ringer? Uh, uh-huh. I think he's the ringer. Stephen Ruiz was tweeting uh, a graphic that they threw up on the game that was like Stafford's second half last week and his first half this week. And you put them together and it's like he missed like one throw. Um, for yeah. incredible yardage and blah, and numbers off the charts. He was like, uh, it looks like Matthew Stafford's cold streak is snapped. And then, you know, the second half happened, and Stafford starts pitching the ball to the defense again. And you're like, look, yeah, like, this is Stafford. Like, the high end is incredible. If you could just take away the brain fart plays, you'd have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But you can't. And as long as those keep happening, that's the difference between winning and losing these games. And... This was the first game. So Sean McVay had this insane record of had never lost a game when he 
had the lead at halftime. This is the first loss. This is now 45-1 and one when he's had the lead going into the halftime. It's also the sixth straight loss that the Rams have had against the 49ers, and they could play again in the postseason. Um, like, it's weird that this team cannot figure out a way to beat the 49ers when they've been the better team throughout the, mo- the majority of that. The 49ers continue to have this really devastating pass rush, which was putting Stafford under a lot of pressure. He got kind of beat up a bit in this game, was hobbling around. Again, classic Stafford, like battling through the pain, trying to get it done. But Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Arden Key has been a really important addition to this defense randomly. Um, they had like a ton of guys getting pressure in this game. And that was causing all kinds of problems for this Rams passing attack, which has been, the, I think, the best pass blocking unit in the NFL this year. All of a sudden, if you start to shake those foundations, it, it didn't go that well. Yeah, they had um, Stafford threw the ball well for the most part, but got sacked five times. And we mentioned today's PFF NFL Daily, we break down the NFC playoff picture and you know just some, some early look ahead, right, as far as the matchups go and everything. But the Niners, the thing we keep citing about their playmakers and the ability to just take over, and Jimmy G averages another 9.9 yards per attempt in this one because – he makes some. He made one nice corner route, throwing the throwing the ball down the field. It's it's a lot of just it's yards after the catch. It's these guys in space, um, in the space created by the scheme and just the fact that they're great. But you have that combination of these playmakers and that pass rush. Just the ability of that pass rush to just make plays and Nick Bosa and company. Uh, it does make the Niners dangerous. They're seven and two now down the stretch. They're two losses: a one score loss to the Seahawks and a one score loss to the Tennessee Titans. Right after start after a little lull in week three where they lost four straight, are the Niners? I mean, the Niners are as good as any of these playoff teams, right? Aren't they? Because of the health issues that they had earlier in the season. If you you're a big throw the games out, throw out the first six weeks of the season, and the Niners are right there with any other team as far as record and what they're capable of. And now we get to see Steve Young and the Niners go face Troy Aikman and the Cowboys. In the yeah. playoffs. I don't know if there's if they're as good because I think one of the biggest differentiators between teams in the postseason is how good your quarterback is. And the 49ers might have the worst quarterback in the playoffs. No, the Steelers. Uh, the 49ers have one of the worst quarterback situations in the postseason. And that, at some point, is going to matter. Like, you're going to play a team, they don't do what Matthew Stafford did in terms of giving you turnovers and you're going to have to keep pace. And can Jimmy G do that? Yes. Will he do that? Probably not. Um, but he was clutch when they needed him. Yeah. Man. But what makes them, what makes them so dangerous is that they are completely unique. Like they have a group of playmakers that you cannot replicate until you see them. Right. There's nobody you have on your roster that can play Debo Samuel. You know, in the scout team during the week of prep. There's nobody you have that can replicate what George Kittle does. There's nobody that really looks like Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Juszczyk. Like, they have all these guys, and the first time you get a good indication of what they're like is when you play them, at which point it's already kind of too late to figure it out. Um, So that's huge. Kyle Shanahan, as much as that offense is related to a bunch of other offenses, including McVay's, it's the way he deploys it schematically is unique. He's way off the end in terms of differences between his offense and any other system so again they are a completely 
individual proposition for any opposition to roll up against. And that is a pain in the ass just by itself. The fact that you cannot, you can't just tap into a wealth of knowledge of teams you've already played and then apply it to the 49ers. They are a completely dedicated ecosystem of how you have to prepare for them, which makes them a challenge every single week. Um, One more thing from this game, by the way, Cam Akers played again. He did. That dude tore his Achilles a couple of months ago. That's preposterous. That was preseason, or was that in... uh, I think it was the end of preseason, right? Either way, he goes five carries for three yards. They they got him back out there, got him back out uh, on the field. Remember, they... Because they were in a desperate situation, they traded for Sony Michelle. He couldn't get going at all in this game, but they traded for Sony Michelle during the preseason. Um, the Rams were beat up at the running back position early in the year between Cam Akers' injury and others. Um, so, for all the great throws that Stafford made, Niners score a uh, kick a f- uh, field goal to go up in overtime. Matthew Stafford with a huge underthrow down the field to OBJ. And. Uh, Ambry Thomas with the game-ending interception for the 49ers. They win 27 to 24. Niners needed to win to get in because the Saints won. Niners needed to win this game. And again, the Rams were playing for something. They wanted the number two seed. The number two seed, I mean, they would have played the Niners. No, they would have played the Eagles. Would have been different. July 20 is when he tore his Achilles. July 20th. I mean, this whole like the whole world's just changing here. The Achilles used to that's a 12 month injury. Yeah, it's a 12 month injury, and when you're back, you're Which not the same guy. Residual effects, right? Yes, it, it's a 12 month injury, and then another 12 months of like you're not you're not a good player anymore, and then maybe maybe you get the explosiveness back, and you're the same guy to get back on the field. Five months. Yeah. Wow. So it's a good thing we already talked to NFC playoff picture on the daily, right? So we can we can go a little bit quicker Sweet. through the rest of this. But man, massive game. Niners play the Cowboys, get that old school rivalry going. I love that. And then the Rams are going to host the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Um, so let's go to that game now. So the Cardinals lose to the Seattle Seahawks. The Cardinals had a chance. If they had won, they would have been NFC West champs. It would have flipped. They would have been the host of this game. So now they've got to go to LA to play the Rams. Uh, Seattle wins thirty-eight to thirty. And uh, it sounds like Seattle's going to reevaluate Pete Carroll and his future here today. But the real story here is Rashad Penny becoming Adrian Peterson. <laughs> 23 carries for 190 yards. Had a 62-yarder in there again. Rashad Penny is unstoppable. Yeah. And <laughs> just another, like, monster run where late in the game breaks off. Okay, it's a pretty healthy gap to run through. But then, like, runs his way past the entire secondary, the second and third level. And just, like... Juju drains his way into the end zone. The dude has been phenomenal the last few weeks. He is now officially a free agent, by the way. Uh-huh. I mean, he'll be a free agent. Yeah. So. Um, he's been, I mean, look, it's a, it's a running back who's got a ton of injury history, and it's a pretty short and small sample size. But this is the guy that he looked like in college, the San Diego State Rashad Penny, who certain people may have said was, was better than Saquon Barkley. This was like Seattle for a while, though, right? They would. Penny's not the type of guy, but they, they would get these – Thomas Rawls, like... Well, no, I'm talking about more like the developmental prospects, like the, the, the J.R. Sweezy's defensive tackle turned guard, which is like, great job. <laughs> but once he became a half-decent guard, he hit free agency. And, and Penny's, again, a different player. Right. But Seattle's got this history of getting, like, nothing from a guy oh, for the majority of their first contract, yeah. and then all of a sudden they become decent either in year four or five or when they're not a Seattle Seahawk anymore. Um, but the Seahawks, they would be picking 10th overall. 
if they had a first-round pick, but they're not. Mm. And so we'll head into the offseason with uh, That's a shame. many questions about what's happening there. Tyler Lockett getting behind the defense for a 43-yard touchdown here. Russ had some big plays. The game started with strip sack and touchdown on what the first play of the game yeah horrible and horrible like russ play where okay it was going to hell anyway because Chandler jones you know made a good play and was bearing down on you then tried to like do the the escape to nowhere thing and just made it worse scoop and score arizona get a touchdown on the board you're like okay this could be a problem uh and then russ started looking more like russ right some absolute dimes deep down the field like his ability to drop just this arcing rainbow into a bucket is as good is better than anybody in the NFL. Uh, Rodgers has a bit of this as well with those Devontae Adams passes where he can just put it like on a guy's hands. Um, but Russ just drops those absolute dimes perfectly. Had some plays on the ground as well, like took off, got a rushing touchdown, which was was, was a good play as well. Looked a little bit more like Russ for the first time. In, in, well, not the first time, but I think showed that he's not – He's not done. Like he's he's a guy that maybe is has declined from his best play, but I don't know that it's a terminal thing. Uh, from an Arizona standpoint, they fall to eleven and six, um, and they were coming off. I mean, figure out the Cardinals for no, me. Can't. Right? Last year was a clean clean narrative, right? They were good, then they were bad. <laughs> this was like they were good. Then they came back down to earth. Then they beat the Cowboys in yeah. Dallas, Week Seventeen, huge game. And then had a chance to win the division. I don't know how much it really matters. I mean, it'd be nice to win the division and all that stuff and host the playoff game. I don't know how much it matters to go to L.A. They already won there. But, you know, Arizona loses to Seattle, who is reeling, you know, this entire season. If you explain the Dallas win by the the fact that Kyler Murray just doesn't lose in Texas, then it Uh, makes sense. Gotcha. Don't explain it with that, then it doesn't make sense. Could they play in Texas? Unlikely. <laughs> if uh, if Arizona wins and Dallas wins and the Eagles win, then it would be Arizona in Dallas week in the, the, the division round okay. with the Eagles going to Green Bay. Just saying. So if you got to get him to we Texas. We have to get Kyler to Texas. Then there were rumblings that the NFLs they've got their backup Super Bowl in Texas. place. Right, and it would be in Texas. Yeah. So if Arizona can get to the Super Bowl, and it's no, it's moved from LA to Texas, then you get Kyler in Texas. Well, this is perfect. We've just given Arizona a Super Bowl by virtue of moving all of their games to Texas. That's what happens. That's all you want to do. So anyway, um, Kyler only finishes with 240 on 39 or on 28 completions. A lot of underneath stuff in this game. Also sacked five times for 53 yards. Seattle subtly did a good job this year of uh, preventing. Big plays down the field defensively. Uh, also didn't matter. But uh, a lot of offseason discussion coming up for the Seattle Seahawks. Russ, Pete Carroll, roster building, the future. And for the Cardinals, I think hoping to get DeAndre Hopkins back. Again, I think they've been a little bit hit or miss. They had been creating some big plays down the field with A.J. Green, with Antoine Wesley. It just wasn't there in this game. Um, so despite getting that strip sack to start the game, just not enough for Arizona offensively. James Conner. He's still awesome. He had a nice little catch and run for a touchdown. But Arizona could not capitalize on a, on a beat-up Seattle Seahawks team here. No, and they're in particular, like we've said, that that defense, the secondary, it, it's looked bad on paper. Looked bad on paper heading into the year. It's looked bad on paper kind of all season long, and they've been able to get by with it or even 
thrive with it, all of a sudden they've been forced, you know, into the depth chart a little bit. And Antonio Hamilton was playing a corner. Um, Breon Borders was playing a corner. The, like Seattle knew that, you know what I mean? They they were targeting those guys quite extensively, and when they did good things tended to happen. Byron Murphy was the guy that sort of been there all along and he had just two targets in the game and, you know, allowed 11 yards. But that's a potential issue for Arizona. If they, it's I mean, an issue. Their secondary wasn't great anyway in terms of on paper, but if, they are, if they're forced beyond that and they're forced to use the depth players, that's a lot shakier. And the thing that they did such a good job at, at Dallas was disguise and everybody showing that one player where they showed eight and dropped and only rushed three and Dak had no idea where to go. Like you got to do that a lot yeah. to discuss, to hide those guys, especially when you go on up against the Rams next week. And there's certain quarterbacks that are better at dealing with that than others. Like that, sure. that will work against some players, some games. It's not going to work against some of the guys you're going to face in the playoffs. Speaking of Dak, way back on Saturday, Dallas won 51 to 26. Now Philadelphia did not play Jalen Hurts or many of their starters. Yeah, at all. Pretty so much anyway. this was Dallas against the backups. I did mention this would be a get-right game for Dak. Whether starters were out there or not, it was just the type of scheme that he would do well against. And they were pretty intent on making it. Like, they left that dude out there for almost the whole game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of wide-open throws in this. There was a lot of bad defense by the Eagles. Uh, this is the second time now in three weeks that Dallas has scored 50. So figure out the Cowboys here. Put up 50 against the football team. Lose to the Cardinals in a huge game you know, with playoff implications and against the playoff team, then they drop 50 again on the Eagles' backups, basically. Yeah. Um, so uh, a weird stretch by the Cowboys. You want to go out on a positive note. Dak was great in this game. He was 21 of 27 for 295, five touchdowns, probably be the highest-graded quarterback of the week. Um, so a good finish to the season for Dak Prescott. Finishes the year with 37 touchdowns, nice, huge number. Uh, that shows just what this Dallas Cowboys offense is capable of. And Franchise now record. He uh, he beat uh, Romo. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he passed Romo. They looked like they wanted to uh, to get that record, which counts because it's you know it's week eighteen and Romo never had a week eighteen to do it. But you know it's fine. But he missed a game, so it's it's oh, all. But he missed a thing. game, so he, so that's same, okay. Same number of games, I think. So that's okay. Yeah. Anyway, fifty-one twenty-six Dallas. <laughs> uh, yeah, like so. Obviously, there's not much to take from this game, right? Like the Eagles backups. The Eagles backups are bad. The Dallas Cowboys starters are pretty good. Therefore, it was a big scoreline. Uh, what is interesting, though, is that Dallas were so intent on like this game. They wanted to make sure. It's a, it's a big data point for what is the value in simply playing well in that final game, even when it's meaningless, right? And I think there's an, like, there's an open debate. Do you, is it more important to build momentum going into the postseason or is it more important to rest starters lest they get injured? Dallas evidently thinks that there is value in simply playing well even if it's against a bunch of backups, right? Even if it's basically a preseason game. There is value in Dak going out there, putting up a 90 grade, throwing for almost 300 yards for five touchdowns, feeling good about himself, heading into the postseason, even if it came against a bunch of dudes that aren't going to be playing football, you know, in but they, a meaningful game. Dallas was also playing to not be the number four seed. Not sure. saying that their backups couldn't beat the Eagles or whatever, but Dallas had a chance of two, and then the most likely scenario is what played out, that yes. they would at least get the three, right? Their, their most common scenario was the three seed. If you get the four seed, 
like the Rams did, you got to play the Cardinals. That is by far the least attractive first-round matchup playing either the Cardinals or the Rams. So Dallas wanted to at least lock in. All right, let's let's at least get in position to get the two or the three, which they did on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, night. but like the length of time they left all those guys out there suggested true. That they, I know. they wanted yeah. to they wanted to get this thing cooking and some before records. they head in. Yeah, and some records. But like it felt like this is a team. You know, the last few weeks who's been. Cowboys don't look quite like themselves yet. You know, they haven't they haven't got back to the level they were before Dak got injured. He hasn't played like himself. This felt like an attempt to fix that, right? Let's just have one game where everything cooks and it looks like it did earlier in the season. And maybe that will carry over next week, even when we start playing actual defenders again. Bengals and Browns fans, I haven't forgotten about you. We'll be back. We'll, we'll circle back to it. It's just, it's just not time yet. You'll, you'll know when the time's right. We'll wait for a f- even just a few more live viewers to get here so we really get it at its, uh, at its peak. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other team competing for one of those top seeds, Tampa Bay Bucks. They win 41-17 to over the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Bucks started off slow. Panthers were a uh, really nice early drive by Sam Donald. I thought <laughs> Sam Donald was stealing all the ginger talent after Carson Wentz laid an egg. I don't know that anybody had it yesterday. Are you calling Joe Burrow a ginger? Did we? Yeah. So he has it all. Well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe Joe Burrow has it all and just didn't relinquish it while he was sitting at home. Light brown, isn't he? Is he? I don't know. I don't think Burrow's in this. I think it's a triangle of terror between uh, Wentz, Darnold, and Dalton at this point. And this might be, I mean, Darnold probably had it more than anybody. Anyway, uh, Tom Brady finishes, I think, his MVP campaign. 29 of 37 for 326 and three touchdowns. Finishes with a league-high 43 passing touchdowns on the year. And uh, Rob Gronkowski made a million bucks by getting his uh, reception. Tom Brady made Gronkowski a million bucks. They ran a little flat route to make sure that they got the seventh catch. It looked like somebody was saying that Brady went back into the game to do that. He didn't go back into it. He just said, you know, (laughs) not now. (laughs) i got to get Gronk's money in a minute. They started the final drive. Um, well, they started a drive with Brady throwing the ball in the flat to Gronk. They got the seventh catch, and then they both came off. But it seemed like there was a sequence on the sideline that someone caught on camera where it looked like Brady had essentially said, you know, no, no, wait. I'm going back out to throw this. See, I thought what they were talking about was the score of the Niners. Cause so Bruce Arian said if the, if the Rams are going to blow out the 49ers, they, they, they lose the chance at the number two seed. Right. And then, and if the Bucks have the game in hand, you take Brady out of the game. There's nothing to play for. I think they were talking about the score of that game because it went from 17 to nothing. I think they were like, "Hey, that game's close." And then the Bucks were like, "Okay, well, we need to win because the Rams could lose, and we want to have that two seed." So I think that's what that was about more than anything. But the thing about Twitter is you can say anything mm. you want, create any narrative you want, yeah. and then someone like Sam will just run with it as yeah, truth. Absolutely. So that's the beauty of social media. I mean, I tweeted yesterday that the uh, what I was rooting for yesterday was, number one, hilarity, and number two, chaos, in that order. You got so it, man. I am looking for got the it. funniest thing that can happen, and then the most, like, the thing that will create the most chaos. That's what I'm shooting for. So when somebody tweets something like that, I'm all for it. I am yeah. absolutely running with that. I don't want to fact check it. I don't, don't want to know. About, don't care about truth. Don't want to know if it's true. I want it to, you have, know, been, I mean, to have been the case, and then I'm going to go for it. I can't it. stand I just can't stand when announcers or anybody adds commentary to something when they didn't actually hear the <laughs> words that were said. I mean, it's bad enough when the words are said and people misinterpret the words or in, misinterpret the tone of uh-huh. the words. It's bad enough. But when they add words that weren't actually said and create a whole narrative, 
You run with it. That's fine. Uh-huh. But I'm, uh, I'm here for the truth, man. <laughs> can't have that. Truth. We're anyway. in a post-truth world. Have you not got the memo? Nobody cares about the truth anymore. Nobody does. It's all about the story. Yeah, all about good stories. Well, my story is Tom Brady's the MVP, number one in PFF war. Turn, you appear to be very much on the minority there. Peter King's 36 smart people. Yeah, well, it's like he, you and one other person. I think it's I'm the smart person and 35, idiots. one other, two smart people and 34 idiots. <laughs> that's what that's what the panel should be. They didn't read my article this week. No, they didn't. About well, maybe they the read it just weren't convinced in the NFL. Bunch of recency bias, record watching idiots. That's what they are. Anyway. <laughs> Um, Cyril Grayson got hurt in this game. So Bucks losing all their receivers. That's like the other day. The Mike track. Evans did as well. He came back, but he got hurt as well. His was like a funny bone, I think. It wasn't a funny bone. Yeah, a little funny bone injury. Um, it does, Mike Evans and Gronk do have that ability. Like every time they get hit, you're just like, are they going to break? Evans particular. Like every time Evans gets up from a play, you're like, is he yeah. wrecked or is, is he good? He comes out injured almost once a game. Yeah. And then goes back in. Um, anyway, Gronk and Evans had huge games. Cyril Grayson gets hurt early. Um, hamstring injury for the speedster, so he might not be available for the playoffs. Brashad Perryman had a couple big plays in here. So the Bucs are still trying to stitch together that receiving core, which they'll need for the playoff run. They'll play the Eagles at home uh, this Sunday at 1 o'clock. And uh, it's a good finish to the season for the Bucs with a 41-17 win. On the other side, the Panthers, they're going to pick sixth overall in a season that they started 3-0 and mm. and made early season moves to go for it. Yeah. And that is just not a great place to be as an organization. No. And they have no quarterback. Uh, still massive questions at quarterback. I believe there was an article in the Charlotte Observer, that's, uh, Observer that said, Sam Darnold did it. He earned the right for next year in this, in this game. You. You, mister, I'm interested in the truth. Did you click on that article? You nope, didn't. I read the headline. Yeah, didn't click on it. Did you? Read the headline that probably wasn't written by the dude that wrote the article. Now, one, look. Oh, uh, yeah, so people really need to know that. The headline writer is different than the actual writer of the story. Almost always. Yeah, the headline writer is not the person that wrote the story. Also, the dude that writes the caption for Twitter is probably a different person Completely entirely. Completely different person. To the guy that wrote the headline or the guy that wrote the article. Sorry. Yes. Uh, you know what? You're right. So anyway, right. number one. What did the article say? Did you I, read it? I didn't read it either. <laughs> but number one, the, the point was like he might have done enough to bring him back next year uh, in this game. But like bring him back. Like just be on the roster. It's a paid article. Oh, that's a shame. Um, but like they're already, they're already paying him. Like he, he's $18 million or whatever they're on I mean, the hook yeah, for him next him. year. So what they're saying is in this game he might have done enough to be worth not paying him $18 million to not play for the team. Yeah. Which is about the lowest bar you could possibly clear as a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, yeah, if I was... You showed just enough that we're not willing to pay $18 million for you to be somewhere else this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, yeah, which is nice probably true. He had a couple of nice passes in this game. Nice pass to Robbie Anderson. Right. But, uh, but I enough. think that's dramatically different from saying he showed enough in this game that he's the starter next year. You're right. It, the headline is more, it's, it's better than it sounds that he's coming back. Yes. Better now, than it sounds. With that caveat that I didn't read it either, and maybe he was making that point. It's in which paid case, content, and it, I'm not against paid content. I think writers, yeah, you should get paid for your content. I'm just not going to subscribe to the Charlotte Observer. Right. It's not, so not with my me. caveat that if he was making that point, that you know he played well enough that he should be the starter next year, then that's dumb as hell. But I yeah. doubt he was. Uh, stat of the day, Tom Brady is now number two in passing touchdowns in Tampa Bay Bucks history. That is incredible. 
Yeah. I mean, he had the extra game to do it. So True. Doesn't count. Yeah. So he's uh, behind Jameis, by the way. But ahead of Vinny Testaverde. Yeah. Poor old Vinny. And Brad Johnson. But Brady probably needs another What's like, that list? 100 interceptions to get to Vinny. <laughs> Vinny's Tampa Bay career was. What the hell is that list? Special. It's like, it's Jameis, Brady. It's got to be Vinny third, right? Brad Johnson, Jeff Garcia. Like, who are we talking about here? It's not a good list. Not a lot of quarterbacks that uh, had long runs in Tampa Bay, but Brady's number two in touchdowns. Uh, so the Bucks get the number two seed. Uh, the other NFC game, I think the only other NFC game with playoff implications was the Saints 30, Falcons 20. Saints win. Um, the Saints, if, if the Niners had lost, the Saints would have been in the playoff yeah. picture. So the Saints took care of business, did what they needed to. Alvin Kamara gets the 30 yards, 30 carries for 146 yards. Taysom Hill leaves with an apparent Liz Frank injury. Um, unfortunate for him. He was throwing the ball pretty well before the injury. Trevor Simeon comes in to finish it up, throws a touchdown on his first pass, and then averages 4.7 yards per attempt. But the Saints did a nice job there. Their defense cracked down again outside of a couple, a couple deep passes. That was it. I mean, they... Saints defense is legit, and them not being – they could have at least kept them, you know, made things interesting in the playoff picture with their defense. But um, Taysom Hill injured, and uh, Saints will not make the playoffs at 9-8 and eight because of the Niners' victory. Yeah, and because, you know, they didn't have quarterbacks once Jameis went down. Um, yeah, that's one of the big what-ifs of this season. Because not just that. I mean, the Saints – we mentioned the more starters than anybody in NFL history and all that stuff or whatever that's worth. Saints just had – a ton of issues this year they get to nine and eight and they're one of those teams that they had to, remember how many players they had to shed off this roster and they have to do it again with all the i mean they're in that like you ever see those those images with the quadrants like who's got cap space who's got money to spend who's mm-hmm. got draft capital like the saints are always in their own special quadrant of like we have to we have to shed 150 million dollars right um which is not to say that like it's all doable yeah and not just doable but like it's it's planned you know, it's not yes. to say that they, they're just this bumbling franchise in cap hell that doesn't have any idea what they're doing. They just approach the cap in this way. But part of the plan is when you're looking at where are they now and where are they in the offseason. Last year, it was like guys, guys like Emmanuel Sanders. Would you love to have Emmanuel Sanders next year? Yes. He can right. never even be a part of this uh, of this team. And therefore, we're going to be lacking wide receiver depth unless we hit in the draft. Right. So that's what we're going to be heading into or this if, you know, for the Saints. If Michael Thomas just doesn't miss the season in that's true too right like this is the this is the way they do things and it is kind of strategized and they do have the plan for it they shed all these contracts they get rid of these guys and then they free up a giant ton of spending money and they go and sign some people and they're usually lower end guys but they're guys like emmanuel sanders that come in like this isn't a completely scattershot thing the problem is if like one of your keystone pieces like michael thomas you know, dithers and then says, actually, by the way, I'm shutting it down this year. I'm not playing at all. You don't really have the flexibility to fix that. Um, but not that many teams do. So the Saints are in a weird spot. And sadly, like Taysom Hill is actually playing all right in this game before he went down. But this team with Jameis would have been a really interesting team going for the entirety of the season. They end up missing out because, you know, Trevor Simeon has a level and Taysom Hill is not the finished product. And you know, is a very specific style of quarterback, which, by the way, is getting harder and harder to justify the more injuries he gets. It's like, look, if you were built out of iron, maybe we could make this thing work. But if you're going to get an injury every couple of weeks, it's making it even harder to sell. Uh, but, yeah, their, their defense was legit this year. 
Um, they had a lot of talented players. I don't understand why the Falcons' offense isn't better than it is. Cordero Patterson only having four carries is one. Yeah, Cordero Patterson, Kyle Pitts, um, Russell Gage is really good and has been for a while. He is. He is. I mean, it makes you think when they had Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones and Gage was the three. Yeah. What they were what they were. Well, hey, that should have been like the most devastating receiving group in the NFL. And we should have been talking about this Falcons offense as being like the most unstoppable passing force in the game. And now you've got Pitts and Patterson who are like freakish athletes that nobody can match up with. Russell Gage is showing that not only is like he like a really good number three, but he's actually just a really good receiver. You can play him as a two or like as a number one. It works. Um, why is this team not? Why is it more not more prolific on offense? I think honestly, and we we got to get to some other stuff here. But Matt Ryan, he had three or four really good. His season honestly looks a lot like Tua's, where if you it's better than nice. Tua's, but he's got four really highly graded games against the football team's bad defense, the Jets' bad defense, the Dolphins' good defense, and then the Lions. Yeah. And then anytime Matt Ryan played a good defense with some tighter windows, he was below average, to be honest. So um, Matt Ryan, a big question mark here. He's um, settled down into that middle tier of quarterback after being the inflection point for years. I think that's my, my Matt Ryan take. Um, we're going to talk Bears-Vikings here because um, it's, it's the Monday after the regular season, so this is what happens. Breaking news here. We've got Mike Zimmer out in Minnesota. Matt Nagy out in Chicago. So the two teams that played yesterday, Minnesota 31, Bears 17, meant nothing for anything other than uh, firing people. Pride. But uh new regimes coming for both teams, the Vikings and the Bears. That's the only thing worth discussing in this game because who cares about the result? <laughs> but only Zimmer, not um not Spielman. Only Zimmer and not Spielman because I've seen I've seen people say full overhaul here. But yeah, I mean, the people that want change in Minnesota want total change, which is not an unreasonable request or desire, given where they are. They've been locked in this sort of middle of the road. I don't want to say mediocre, because I think they're probably slightly better than mediocre, but trapped in this world of average. Uh, and the only way to get out of that is to do something dramatic. Firing a head coach is pretty dramatic, but if you're still stuck with the with the quarterback that's at a level and a GM that's at a level, are you are you changing it enough? I, you know, I don't I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Spielman's gone too, <laughs> so so it is changing. So it's a whole it's a whole overhaul. Yep, in Minnesota, uh, we don't know what's happening with the Bears as far as Ryan Pace though, right? I don't. So let's start with Minnesota. Maybe someone will inform us if Pace is gone as well. Uh, Kirk Cousins owed $35 million heading into the last year of his contract. Minnesota's going to be drafting number 12 overall. Last year, they were, ironically, in the Justin Fields sweepstakes. They were, they were looking for him in the draft. They almost wanted to make the move. They didn't do it. And uh, they'll presumably be looking for either a quarterback for this year or the next. I do think if you're going to start from scratch in Minnesota, it's not bad to do one lame duck Kirk Cousins year. Yeah, drafting I mean, one you're of already, quarterbacks. Yeah. I sure. Mean, I, I, look, sorry. But I, I didn't love the cl- – we loved the class last year. I thought everybody brought something to the table. Yep. This year, the Sam Howells and Malik Willis's and all that stuff. I, te- I, I want to be team patience here. Team like, if you patience. can draft a Malik Willis, any of them, there's no – if you can draft any of them – I mean, it does give you a and massive – And just let them sit. Yes. It gives let you, them sit. It gives you a huge capacity to – 
not be concerned about the developmental time of a quarterback. Like, if you were drafting, generally speaking, when you draft a quarterback in the first round, you need that guy to be good now. The Vikings are in a relatively unusual position of being able to draft a quarterback and know that he doesn't need to take a snap for a year because Kirk Cousins is here. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a, you know, da-da-da-da. Like, Kirk Cousins is here. Savior. <laughs> you um, just did it. Yeah. That was good. But you, like, you don't need to, right? You can, that guy can sit for the whole year and develop and learn on the sideline and not have to take a single snap of football between preseasons uh, if that will help them develop. Now, you still run the risk of, man, developing a quarterback in today's NFL that isn't ready isn't that easy. It's certainly not anymore. Do you want to do that? Or do you just want to punt on quarterback for another year and hope that next year is a better situation? But they do have the flexibility of knowing that Kirk Cousins can start for a whole year while somebody else sits behind him. Now, it doesn't appear to have done an awful lot of good for Kellen Mond, uh, but that's the situation they're in. But I agree that, like, you're already pressing, like, a hard reset at this point, right? You're blowing up the whole organization. Everybody, the regime is changing. The whole thing is being started over. You know, the Lions did that. It was a multi-year plan. We didn't need to get good right away. So the, it doesn't matter if the Vikings are being squeezed next year for Kirk Cousins' contract because you expect the whole thing to be a process anyway. So you can eat a bad year. Yeah, I think this will be – look, half the, half the NFC North coaches are gone. The other two are Matt LaFleur, who's got one of the best records of all time, and Dan Campbell, who's 11-6 against the spread. Um, but, yeah, this is, I, the, the candidates will be fascinating here, too. A lot of times what you get is opposites, right? So an opposite approach for the Vikings would be offensive-minded, right? Right. Instead of the defensive-minded Mike Zimmer, what's in the? But for the Bears, when you have a Justin Fields, you can't go the like Matt Nagy was an offensive guy coming from Kansas City. You can't just go the opposite and just say give me a defensive coach for Justin Fields. Presumably they're going to be going for the next Eric Bieniemy, who's worked with you know young quarterbacks or Brian Dable. You think at this point whoever. everybody is looking for an offensive-minded head coach? Like just the way the NFL is today, is anybody looking for defensive guys? I mean, obviously the Chargers just hired Brandon Staley, so it exists. But yeah, I mean, Sean McDermott's had a ton of success with the Buffalo Bills. Like the only, I, we'll get into a lot of head coaching stuff here. The thing that we don't know is the leadership aspect of it, right? I mean, that is the most important thing yeah. for a head coach: is the leadership. You are a CEO. X's and O's are second. But the advantage of when you have, say, a Sean McVay who's really good at X's and O's and presumably is good at all the other stuff is you know you're not going to lose him, right? You, you, if you have a Mike, – if Mike Zimmer hired the next hotshot offensive coordinator and he was great, the guy would get the next job. Yeah. And then you'd have to develop the next guy. Sean McVay never has to develop the next offensive coach because he's it. That's the advantage of having – that particular person offensively. And we're only saying this because offense is more important than defense or more um, controlled than defense, unless you're, I guess, at an extreme level like uh, Belichick maybe. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's, it's an interesting – it's always interesting every offseason. It's also tricky because, you know, you get asked every year, like, who are the, who's the best coaching candidate out there? You're like, well, nobody has any idea. Like, unless you're in those interviews, and even then you probably don't have a great idea, it's three or four jobs rolled into one. Right? It's in-game decision-making, uh, whether it's clock management, two-point go-for-it-or-not, fourth-down decisions, play-calling, depending on who the coach is, 
it's general like CEO stewardship of the entire organization. Like, are we building this fancy ass new practice facility over here? And what does that need to look like? And what machines do we, you know, all that kind of crap, like micromanaging that stuff. It's all kinds of stuff, all folded up into one. And you need to have an idea if a guy, you, hey, so unless you're in an interview, you have no earthly idea whether a dude is any good at that, right? Like, can Eric Bienemy or Brian Dayball or any of these guys, like, how are they within a building managing meeting times and structuring, you know, week, weeks of practice and preparation? <laughs> I, I don't know. Does anybody know that? No. Um, literally not unless you're in the interview, right? Then there's the scheme and then there's the man management and all that kind of stuff. So it's really difficult to have any idea how these guys are going to uh, go from the outside. All you can do is judge what happens from the results and agree that, you know, a change needs to happen and then... Once you're interviewing these people, let's sort of evaluate their resumes from the outside. But I agree that both these teams probably needed a change. It sounds like, I mean, I think Matt Nagy had done a good job early, lost his way when Trubisky really wasn't the guy and never found his way back. And things went south when Justin Fields was the quarterback. It sounds like the later that went on, the more like it was like he was falling out with senior members of the team yeah. personnel wise and at which point like that's just you know, there's no coming back from that the vikings again i think everyone's kind of done a good job overall it's just for some reason it wasn't it, it had reached a level and wasn't getting better there was there was a hump that they just couldn't get over it felt like right. the end of mike shanahan in denver you know where every time. year you're more or less on the playoffs but we've hit a we've hit a level now we're plateaued we're not getting better we're going to stay at this level. We're probably not getting much worse. But so much of that with Denver and Shanahan was dependent on the quarterback, too. They always had. Well, it a, always is. Like, that's yeah. with everybody, right? There's, it, there's always outside circumstances. But for whatever reason for Minnesota, having a pretty good GM, a pretty good head coach, and a pretty good quarterback put together was not getting you any better than pretty good. And I, if I, you want to win know. a Super Bowl, you need to change that. So I know Spielman's out in Minnesota, but I think the bottom line in Minnesota is they never – they never got the roster overhaul back. They never just got it back. They had one of the better rosters in the NFL for a couple of years. They just never got it back. With the Bears, every year they got worse, right? I mean, they, they it, it was a borderline miracle that the Bears won the division in 2018 <laughs> with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. So there was a point. This is like we're talking about the David Culley stuff. How much do you make of a, team, a coach exceeding expectations, right? Does that lead to future success? Well, not if the Bears just get worse. Their entire really good defense fell apart pretty much over the last few years. Um, and now Matt Nagy goes from, like, elevating Mitch Trubisky to maybe he's not the guy to develop Justin Fields. So we'll have plenty to discuss on this. I'm sure we'll have a couple emergency dailies as uh, candidates emerge here and we get more information. Uh, anything else on these teams? Because the, the only other games that we need to discuss – uh, had no playoff implications. Uh, Detroit 37, Packers 30. Aaron Rodgers played the first half, balled out. Uh, probably going to be the MVP the way the voters like. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, yeah. The way the voters are leaning, even though they're wrong. Uh, 37 touchdowns, four picks, despite 12 turnover-worthy plays this year for Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah, he's been, uh, since that week one game, he's been awesome. So, Packers, they've got the number one seed. We got to see a little bit of Jordan Love. Uh, wasn't great again, and uh, the Lions played their little hearts out again and win 37-30. to 30. Brian Flores is out. Really? Yeah. 
So we got Brian. Do we? Are we just here all day? Yeah, let's just keep rolling. Is anyone else in the studio after us? Let's just stay here all day. Uh, Aaron Rodgers now owns the top six uh, touchdown to interception ratios in a single season in NFL history. The top six are all Rodgers. It is if you have the threshold high enough. So obviously Nick Foles had that stupid year where he had, like, what is it, two interceptions, 20-something. 28-2. But if it's 500 attempts or something, Rodgers is one through six. I mean, Rodgers has an incredible history of throwing touchdowns and not throwing interceptions, which is really good for the football team. Incredible history of that. Yeah. He's been, yeah. <laughs> He's been great. He's awesome. MVP, Steve. MVP. He's not the most valuable player this year, but Rodgers is awesome. Mm. Uh, Packers got David Bakhtiari back playing football. That was David nice. Bakhtiari's back. Jair Alexander is practicing, and I think Zadaria Smith has been cleared to practice or something like that. So the thing that we've been talking about all season, the Packers have reinforcements on the horizon. They're arriving. This is one of those situations where the betting the betting lines uh, the betting results might not like the Packers this year. They're not covering enough. It's not as flashy. They're not putting up as many points. I think they're in a better spot this year than last year though. Yeah. Cuz Rodgers is playing at a similar level. Now his whole season grade is not close to last year's because he had some bad games in there, but as far as like how he's trending, obviously Rodgers is always capable of being special. Devontae Adams is still Devontae. You probably have a few more complimentary pieces than you had last year at this time. And you have the Rasul Douglases and Devondre Campbells of the world stepping up. And now Jair and Bakhtiari. Like, this should, it should be the best, best opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to get that second Super Bowl. Here the guys year. that they've had in playing in for those players that have been missing have generally played pretty well. Um, Bakhtiari came back, looked good. So that's useful. Uh, Eric Stokes has, I think, developed really well over the course of the year. If Jair is the same player he was when he left, that's, that's made the secondary better. Rashawn Gary has had a career year and been one of the most effective pass rushes in the NFL. I think he has the single best pass rush win rate of any uh, edge rusher in the NFL, assuming you don't. Eh, no, I think it's true. Any edge rusher. So Gary has had a career year while Zadarius Smith has been on the shelf. Again, if, if Zadarius comes back and is good. They've gotten significantly better by virtue of playing the players that they had to play without their stars. If the stars come back healthy, this team gets much, much better. So, uh, anyway, the, man. So we get to talk Brian Flores now, too, huh? Lions win 37 to 30. Uh, the, let's talk Browns Bengals, Sam. <laughs> I want to see the timestamp that just says 22 seconds. Case Keenum, 2 0 as Browns starter this year. Discuss. Yeah. That's it. Uh, it was against Brian Allen. No, not Brandon Brian Allen. Allen. Bra- Brandon Allen. I'm just saying the uh, Browns might as well have been Brian Allen. Browns six and nine with Baker Mayfield, two and zero with Case Keenum. Yeah, some offseason fodder there. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, if if Case Keenum gets to play Brandon Allen every week, he'll, he'll probably win a lot of those games. Joe Burrow will be back next week for the playoffs. Yep, and uh, they'll play Saturday at four thirty. Neither one of the quarterbacks graded particularly well. Case Great. Keenum included. Um, yeah, not an awful lot to say from this game, to be honest. And the most notable thing in the Washington 22-7 win over the New York Giants was the Giants running a QB sneak on third and nine from the four. Having run one on second and 11 from wherever that would have been, the two. Yeah, what an embarrassment. That was a call that says, I don't care about the prospect of losing my job. Yeah. People try to justify it. 
certain people. You justify it like when you're deep in your own territory, you run a sneak to just get some room from yeah, the goal line. Like from the, you see it a lot of times from the one yard line, right? right? Guys, they just plow ahead. They try and get a little bit of breathing room to take away the possibility of a safety and in particular to buy your punter like just an extra yard or two of making like to get it done. Because when you're when you're backed up from the one, the punter is lined up closer to the line than he would normally line up, right? You don't have enough yardage anymore to the back of the end zone <coughs> to, to run the punt the way it no, it's normally aligned in terms of depth. So you get, you try and buy your punter like an extra yard or two just so it can function without it getting blocked and also so he doesn't have his heels backed up literally on the goal line where if one half step back and it's a, you, know, you screwed it up, right? From, you don't do it from the four. Like, okay, again, you're not quite at the exact alignment, but on the other hand, it's third and nine. Like, what the hell difference does it make? Just, like, what are you doing? It was genuine. Like, that was a call that's like, ah, I just don't care. Like, whatever. I'm not getting fired. Let's just get out of this game. All right. Ryan Pace has officially been fired from the Chicago Bears, the Bears GM. So we've got a full overhaul in Chicago. Yep. We have a full overhaul with the Minnesota Vikings. This is the PFF NFL podcast. We're live all day here on YouTube. We're just not going to leave. You can't take us off the air. We're just going to stay here all day. There's no limit. Um, so they uh, overhaul in Chicago, overhaul in Minnesota. There's a guy in that room that I'm pretty sure could take us off. Oh, I'm pretty sure they could. With one switch. Yeah, you've got power to press a button and get rid of me. Yeah. Um, I've got to talk Browns, though, so that should buy us some time. All 20 seconds of it? It's all, I mean, does Tyler really want to hear more about the Browns? I don't know. We'll, we'll spend, I promise, we'll spend the most offseason time talking Browns. Um, and then Brian Flores. What are your thoughts on Flores? being fired here by the Miami Dolphins, finishing 9-8. and eight. Yeah. I, I don't really understand that, to be honest. Like, I'm just a big believer in doing things, like judging things based off expectations. Yeah, again, I'm back. it's like the Cully question. Like, what were your expectations for Brian Flores coming into the season? Were your ex- so last year, you probably overachieved and did better than expectations a year ago. And like, did that complete, completely reset expectations to the point where you're like, Oh, this year it's Super Bowl contention or bust. Like if you're not, you're not in the Super Bowl, or was it if you don't make the playoffs? I need you to be in the postseason, otherwise get the hell out of here. And you almost made it. You got your seven-game win streak back, and then you blew it. You blew it late in the year. Now pack your crap and get out of here. But ultimately, like again, worst offensive line in the NFL. A quarterback that hasn't shown he can be that guy yet. Of course, you're not. You're not a great team. Like you're you're still a work in progress, so I don't I don't really I don't get the expectations. They're an intriguing bunch, though, as far as the investment that they've made in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, uh, Chris Greer, the general manager, by the way, stays with the team. Okay, so he'll he'll be remaining. So this is not a complete overhaul in Miami. Um, we know that we know that management is pretty. I mean, like every management group is is involved in this stuff. But is, is this just like a, we're going after a Jim Harbaugh, we're going after a big name here, or how much is the Deshaun Watson factor? That's, that's something I wonder. I wonder if this team, from a decision-making point of view, was like all in on getting Deshaun Watson. Remember, there were reports around the trade deadline that, that said that Miami was kind of investigating whether they could make all the legal things go away. You know, can we just clear up enough of these that we're happy that we can trade for this guy and have him as our starting quarterback. And it did seem that of everybody that was being questioned, Brian Flores was the least interested in Deshaun Watson, at least from what he was saying publicly. Maybe 
everybody else in the building was like, let's go get this guy. He's the he's the answer. And Flores was like, no, we got Tua. I like that quarterback. That's our guy. I don't want any part of this Deshaun Watson stuff. Whether or not it was confidence in Tua or whether it was just simply not wanting to bring in a dude that has 23 separate accusations of sexual misconduct hanging over him, who knows? But that, I guess, is a potential explanation for why a dude with a pretty good record and outwardly pretty impressive track record of coaching has been shown the door. And Flores has been a really good defensive coach. Um, and I'm not saying that fixing an offensive line is easy. But, and I'm not saying you spend the whole offseason just focused on that, but Miami's got these other good pieces in place. Presumably, they're going to be making some splash moves at quarterback here because whoever, whoever comes in doesn't have to be tied to Tua, even if Chris Greer graft, uh, drafted him. Um, so we assume there's going to be some sort of big move for Watson or someone else. And then you just, yeah, first off, Watson has a history of making lines, uh, dealing with bad offensive lines anyway. But, you can just put a lot of resources into revamping the offensive line, and all of a sudden it's a decent roster here in the AFC East. But yeah. maybe you lose, you lose a team. I'm not saying they were completely built to play Flores' man-heavy scheme, but they invested heavily in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard uh, playing that style, right? So that's the other thing as far as like new, new system coming in. There's always a little bit of risk there. Man, they call it Black Monday because, well – Jobs are on the line. A lot of people get fired. Uh, Ian Rappaport saying Dolphins coach Brian Flores was a significant reason why Deshaun Watson wanted to be in Miami with Flores out. The situation may have changed. So, Ian <laughs> that, Rappaport. That would be quite the spectacular backfire if what we just suggested yeah. was true. Like yeah, right. Everybody in the building wants Deshaun Watson except Flores. So you boot Flores out, but Flores is the only thing tempting Deshaun Watson. All right, we didn't go that far over time here. No. With all the, I mean, it's Perfect. nice when you didn't have, is there any game that we did not discuss? Probably. No, I got all of them. I'm looking through. Talk to the people. Buffalo. Yeah, we did it. We touched on every game. We hit some breaking news on the firings. That was important. We've got even more, we're, we're I mean, it feels pressed for time here. We don't have enough time to talk about everything. God, no. But luckily we have a Wednesday show. Perfect. Um, PFF Awards, year-end awards are going to be happening this week. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled for that, especially here on this YouTube channel. Um, and then we'll be back on Wednesday to discuss whatever's happened in the NFL between now and then. We you know, keep that open-ended. And then Thursday, it's like a free-for-all. Only six games to preview this weekend. And then we'll probably touch on for the other teams that aren't involved in the playoffs we'll have some off-season discussion we'll have some off-season fodder maybe free agency but it is off-season season it's off-season season which i love meaning free agency off-season team needs draft talk let us know what do you want to hear what are you most interested in as we get into uh into franchise building mode here which uh we love here on the pff nfl podcast uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in is this it do we have anything else is there i'm just i'm stalling for more news I, I think we're fine. Okay, good. Yeah, It's not like we don't have another show in a couple of days. We're good. Yeah, uh, email, us, uh, email us at PF, uh, nflpodcast at pff.com. Yep. I can't put words together any longer. Mm. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday. Yep. Happy playoffs. <laughs>